Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix a warlock, a warlock hunter, and a dumb lady who is slowly getting old? Why you get the film Warlock. What up, everybody? So glad you're here. It's Tulio with the flow back in here. Well, I'm not on a mission, but we'll see. It's, this is definitely not a fantastic voyage. I will give you that. But hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome to... Man, it's fucking season five. Can you believe this fucking shit? Um, I can't believe it. I honestly can't. Uh, that this podcast was started on September 23rd of 2014 and as of the release date which is only two days away um that was the official release of terror vision and i know that every year i kind of get into this like nostalgia mode and i start thinking back and i think about everybody that has listened to the podcast from its very humble beginnings i mean i'm talking about when the podcast first started i think i went for oh god i want to say at least six seven months with like 10 downloads an episode and now you know um there is a very healthy download um i'm slowly creeping on fifty thousand downloads and uh listens mixture of both um and i really do appreciate it in fact uh with the new like itunes like charting thing i know apple's not the end-all be-all but they did do um like new categorization and so for film reviews uh way to go canada i'm like in the 20s um and i appreciate you canada but even in the u.s i mean like nothing to scoff at where i'm at i'm very happy that i've even climbed you know into the hundreds you know instead of being the thousands because there's fucking thousands of podcasts out there and you guys take the time that do listen and i again i say this all the fucking time i was happy back then when it was like 10 to whatever and it was mostly like friends and family that were listening to it and then maybe an episode where all of a sudden strike something i mean not everybody's gonna be like a ooh spawn of the vampire let's go find out about that movie that i've never fucking heard about or even deathbed the bed that eats 
you know, they're not going to go crazy gaga over maybe a movie like that versus something like, you know, Freddy versus Jason or Species or fucking <laughs> Bride of Chucky. You know, it's not going to be one of those things. And I know that because I know when people start listening to these podcasts that they kind of pick out, especially when it comes to movie review or movie discussion podcasts, you go with the movies that you truly know, right? You go with that, oh yeah, I like this movie, or oh yeah, I remember that movie being terrible, let me listen to somebody else talk about it, and then you start listening. So, uh, it's weird, it's weird to be in this situation, and it's um, it's not something that I thought I'd be doing for this long, to be honest with you. I thought it would be like, oh, it's going to be fun, and I'm going to do it, but, uh, you know, like I've said you know, before and earlier today, and I know I say you know a lot, okay, don't fucking get on me, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm just gonna keep doing this until you guys get fucking tired of me, or I run out of movies to fucking talk about, and uh, I'm doing a little bit of uh, upgrades here. If anything sounds a little different, a little odd, it's primarily because I upgraded the laptop, uh, so this thing is a much better machine than what I was using before. And uh, hopefully that came out in the Banana Splits episode, and it might have been a little rough because I'm still trying to get used to the whole dynamic of how everything I have it like set up. And uh, I had to invest in some other hardware because the Banana Splits episode was really difficult to do uh, in, in terms of setup. One, it was difficult because we had to get some guy out here, I don't know, that one dude... You know him. We all know him. That's right, Ben. We had to really work on getting Ben over to the podcast. No, fuck, I'm talking about Dave, okay? From Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, um, which was a blast of a time. Um, it's really cool when you finally get to, like, I I've put a face to Dave. That's not what I want to say. <laughs> um, that sounds a little odd, too, but... You know, we've chatted, we've been on video together a couple times, you know, the setup I had with the last laptop didn't allow me really to do video when doing a podcast with somebody, so it was always kind of difficult, I didn't want to step over everybody's, like, toes, but, you know, I've never talked to him directly, face-to-face, -face, and it was really cool to have him, like, in my hood, like... <laughs> He, he got to come to the house, but he didn't get to come inside. Um, wait, that sounds terrible too. But no, it was really a lot of fun. And for the people that helped him get here, I can't thank you enough. Because it's not just for him. It was for all of us, for Ben and Pat and myself, to have him like come and hang out. And like a friend that all of us have known for, you know, not like forever, and I've said it before, it does feel like I've known him for a very long time, and it's really cool that just uh, a small little thing like him asking to be on a podcast because you want to be interviewed about his little film uh, that he had written, that that would turn into a meaningful friendship. It's weird. And this is what podcasting has kind of allowed us all to do. And the people that we've been able to meet, uh, you know, just a lot of it being online and a lot of it being, you know, some of it being in person uh, has been great, you know, without, uh, you know, honestly, without Pat, I would have never even gone to do this far because I talk, I don't talk about it a whole lot. And, and if you did donate to Dave's thing, there is going to be a special podcast for those. And I do hope, I think later on he'll release it to the masses. 
because it was a lot of fun. But all four of us just basically had to shoot the... He calls them shoot the breeze. I'm going to say what it is. It's shoot the shit. Uh, and we all just kind of, you know, it was cool just to sit and to talk. And that's all we did during the whole weekend, which was really fun, too. I wish there would have been something more we could have done with him at times, but... I know that he was happy just being, I'm not gonna, it sounds weird, he's just happy being in our presence, but no, uh, he was, it was like, it was just like seeing a good friend that you've never seen or haven't seen in a very long time, and everything just melded, because who knows when you meet somebody face to face what they're going to be really like, I mean, you probably would meet me and be like, oh, that's him, that fucker, um, <laughs> that arrogant son of a bitch, uh, I don't know. You'd say what you want <laughs> about me, but it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, I don't mean to get all sappy and stuff right in the intro of the goddamn podcast, but I do want to point it out. And it has to do with also with this. So long story short, Dave fun, new equipment and still learning on a couple of things, how to get this sound exactly the way that I want to. For this, and uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed that Banana Splits episode, the end of season four. I wanted season four to not only go on a bang with a film that would have been a lot of fun to do for the podcast, but the fact that we had Dave coming, I wanted to make sure that all four of us got to do it. And honestly, it was a lot more work than it sounds. And I was very happy and was very proud of it, not only because. I got to do something with my friends uh, directly, but because it didn't sound like a clusterfuck like I was anticipating it to be, everybody jumped in at the right times, Everybody, nobody really talked over themselves, and that's something that is amazing to do and can only be done with friends that know kind of where things are going to go. And uh, at times I can be a little bit of a perfectionist with some things and other things uh, I can say fuck it and just fucking do it. And it's great that there are absolutely no bloopers from that episode and that everything was just kind of left in uh, just for fun. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that. But we have to start season four and I always start season four with a film that is very kind of near and dear to me. And that film, and maybe it might be to some, uh, you know, wait, what, you know, you're going to do Warlock? Like, huh? Okay. Like, nobody's fucking excited about it, but I'm the one that's fucking excited about it because it's a film, and, and really, it's a memory to my childhood. Because the film came out in 1989, well, 1991. Um, in some places, it came out in 89. It came out, I believe, 89 in Cannes. And then in the UK, it actually came out here uh, a couple years later after it was basically screened out there. And it was a film that I don't remember going to the movies for, probably because I was way too young. But it definitely was a film that my sister and I watched the ever-loving shit out of. Like, we literally were... I think whenever we had summer break after it happened, uh, or it was released on like HBO or pay-per-view or whatever it was, uh, we would just watch it whenever it came on. This is another one. It's weird. There are a lot of films that I can remember with her and us watching. This is hands down one of them. And I can remember that this is one of her favorite films. Uh, Is it a great film? Well, we'll talk about that. But there's more nostalgia going on for me than anything else with this film. 
And part of the reason is, is just, I think back to the times, you know, I don't get to see her as often as I'd like, you know, it's one of those things. And it just brings up good memories of when we were kids and like everything that surrounded it at the same time. So for me, it's more of a, you know, like I said, a nostalgia trip than anything else. And looking back in this movie, what the fuck were wrong with my parents and why the fuck would they let us watch this fucking movie? Oh my fucking God. I didn't remember half of the shit that happened in this movie and like the severity of it. I remember being not so violent. Um, I remember that Julian Sands was interesting and I think my sister had a crush on him at the time. Uh, that the one character in him almost looked exactly the same and, uh, it was just one of those films where, like, why? Why would you let us fucking sit and do this as much? And I understand, during the summer, you can't fucking control us. I mean, I was in my preteens at this time. My sister was definitely a teenager when we watched it. I have a feeling that we probably watched it when she was uh, around 14, maybe 15. So maybe she's kind of getting there. But I'm a little baby still at that point. I wasn't even a teenager yet. You know, I was probably 11, 12 years old when we saw this film. Maybe I was 13. Maybe. Then maybe. Maybe. It would have been okay. And there's a lot of shit. And even, like, I reached out to her. And even she said, you know, there was a lot of shit that we were watching at that age that we probably shouldn't have been. And she's probably fucking right. But... What were they thinking? Come on. Like, we're really going to watch this movie? I mean, maybe it was because there was no nudity in the film, even though I feel like there should have been some in this fucking movie. But, nonetheless, it's one of those things where I just remembered us, like, being during the summer. It was one of those movies we put on. You know, we put on this. Uh, we would put on The Last Unicorn. We'd put on The Hobbit uh, animated movie, the very first one. Um... There was uh, just a ton of films. Uh, Howard the Duck. Um, I would say Killer Clowns from Outer Space, but that's not my sister's type of deal. That's definitely my wife that got me into that film. Uh, but that was kind of around this time, too. I mean, a lot of 80s schlocky horror, you know, we would watch. And it really, it wasn't as severe as some other films that are out there. So something like The Lions of... Aliens, for example. I know, it's not that severe, but it's a lot more violent than this is. And that's a film I remember watching with my cousins, and I know I've told this before, but they're both on the couch, all happy and jumpy, and they're much younger than me, and I could not stare at the fucking screen. In fact, I couldn't watch Aliens for much, much later, like, much, much, much later. I mean, into my late teens, early 20s, because I was so freaked out about it, and the stuff that I remembered. But I did remember the cool mech that, you know, uh, Ripley gets into at the end of the movie. And fights the queen alien and was, I thought was entertaining for the time. But, nonetheless, that movie scared the shit out of me. But Warlock didn't. And Warlock has some, I don't know if you want to call them scary moments. But maybe for a young, impressionable kid, uh, they definitely would be scary. So... It's a film that, like I said, it was debuted at Cannes in 1989. And then it did come out in Australia and the UK in June of 89. It didn't hit the US until January of 1991. 
the movie itself stars, of course, Julian Mother F. and Snans, uh, Laurie Singer, and Richard E. Grant. They're the primary stars of the film, and in fact, I think we spend most of our time with Richard E. Grant and Laurie uh, Singer here. Uh, it was originally uh, budgeted at $15 million, which was a lot for that time, and it only brought in a box office of $9 million, like $9 million and change. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily a huge success, but it did obtain a cult following uh, later on, and it did receive two other sequels. The second one did star uh, Mr. Sands, and then the third one starred somebody else's The Warlock. But all three films aren't connected to each other. So even though it's Warlock 2, the Armageddon, and you think, oh, his character comes back, the Warlock comes back, he really doesn't. It's a whole new, brand new spanking story. And it's the same thing with Warlock 3, which I've never fucking seen. And I think Warlock 3 is the only one that gets a direct-to-video release, whereas Warlock 2 actually did see some theater time. But it also wasn't as popular as the first one. And the first one itself, in general, wasn't very popular as it was. So there are a couple of the things that I can also tell you about the film. Uh, one, there is some controversy around it. And it has to deal with this kid getting super into the movie. And then they're claiming that what he did was, you know, which was terrible and he was tried as an adult but was based around, like, things from this film. Uh, I'm not sure, like, the validity of it, uh, but it definitely started in Canada. Like, not the validity, he did fucking do it, but the fact that they're blaming the movie on I mean, when anything really bad happens, what's the first thing you fucking do? You blame fucking horror movies and video games. Oh, you shouldn't be watching Michael Myers. Oh, well, you know what? Maybe you need to see other signs in your fucking kid. So, fuck you. That's my opinion, okay? But... In general, uh, in metal music, of course, that's like the third thing. Like, Marilyn Manson has been blamed for so much shit, yet Marilyn Manson is talking more about what the fuck is going on with our society and how fucked up it is versus, uh, hey, go and kill these motherfuckers over there. You play a fucking Beatle record backwards, and they're telling you how you can fucking, like, slaughter bunnies and little cute kittens and shit like that. That's why I don't fucking listen to Beatles, and I only listen to fucking Guar 24 fucking 7. Guar all the fucking time! Oh, wait, no. No, that's Tool, not Guar. But Guar is fucking cool as it is. So, uh, but it's it brought in the V-chip into a lot of homes in Canada. And that was the thing that was going to allow your TVs to censor out certain type of violent things. So it would analyze and say, oh, hey, this thing's really violent. Or this thing's on whatever violence list that I've got in my chip. And it wouldn't let you play it unless you put some type of, like, parental code or some shit. Basically, kind of like what you do with your Xbox or your PlayStation, right? You let your kid play with it, and then you put a fucking password on there and say, Hey, if you can figure out the password, you can do what the fuck you want. Otherwise, you're playing Barney's fucking Dinosaur Tales or where the fuck you're going to be playing. Or, you know, cute, cute, gadget, go kitty, don't kill anybody, but really it's more violent than anything I fucking play. Ugh, okay. It's got to settle down a little bit. You know, that cute kitty game, it's not that bad. It actually, you know what, it's got a really good world-building sense. You can, like, farm and then murder the souls of your, you know, enemies after you've drank all their blood. But it comes out as, like, strawberry syrup, so it's okay. It's not, actually, it's not that bad of a game, now that I think about it. Anyway, so, this 
basically caused this like revolution in Canada. Not really, but it made it so that it would be more forefront. Um, there are also a different set of deleted scenes that come along with the movie that no one really has been able to find, at least from what I can read out there. Um, and they were some of them where the effect was so expensive to make, and they did it, and it looked like shit <laughs> in the damn movie. So they totally redid it. And one of them had to deal with the death of the Chandler, who we'll get to and we'll talk about uh, with the movie. So I guess I should say now, starting season five... Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump into Warlock. And it starts kind of interesting. We start in the past. It's a giant blast from the past because we're back in 1691. And there's a bunch of, like, you know, oddly dressed, kind of, I wouldn't say Amish, but more monkish. I bet you they're more, like, priestish. But they're kind of, like, pagan style priest like or at least not what i expected to be back in there i mean it's probably like a pilgrim village uh and supposedly this is the boston area well somewhere around their back east they don't necessarily say at least i didn't catch it and if i didn't catch it oh well fuck it so they're walking to this tower uh and then there you see a guy throw a cat inside of a basket and i'm like what the hell is the point in the basket with the cat uh, maybe it's a black cat but no it kind of looks like one of my cats who's just a calico you know Maybe it's running around, this is the way they help control the pet population. You know, Bob Barker wasn't available and Drew Carey with his boring fucking ass wasn't telling everybody to make sure to snip off your cat's balls or your dog's balls or sew up, you know, things so that way that you don't have a ton of random cats running everywhere. So, you know, there's probably a giant cat fucking problem in that village where you just turn the corner and then boom, there's a cat fucking boom. There's cats fucking over there. Boom. There's more cats fucking. It's cat fucking mania. Cat fucking 1691. I mean, they had these giant banners out there, had the cats and they had that little like pitchforks and torches. And they were like, we're not going to go. This was our home first. This is where cat fuckapalooza will always be. And then they didn't realize that they weren't the dominant species and that we were going to fucking neuter them all the goddamn time. You know, like two or 300 years later, and this isn't fucking Egypt, where you're fucking revered as fucking gods or whatever the shit is. Fuck that fucking festival, man. They threw me out one time. I mean, um, anyway, so we see these guys, and they're walking over to this tower. They enter. It's got like a weird symbol on the door. Uh, it kind of looks like a pentagram with a bunch of other little symbols. And so they walk up, and they walk up this tower. And on the outside, it doesn't look very big. But it takes them like a full minute of the fucking movie to get up to the top of the tower. And eventually when they get up to the tower, who do we see there? But the warlock himself, Julian Sands. And he has been like shackled in a very weird way. And the priests, they decide to kind of talk to him and tell him what they're going to do to him. This day, year of our Lord, 1691. Colony of Massachusetts, Township of Boston, and such like and such like. There is a minister, one, who would come. Confession may better your chances in the hereafter. It is doubtful, but it may by some twist of fate. A wealth of evidence has convicted thee of trafficking with the devil. Thou art to be hanged and then burnt over a basket of living cats. There is no question left but one. Do you choose to admit your crimes before man and God? 
get nothing from him, as I said. That's the whole of it, then. Let the record show that this obscene wretch, though afforded opportunity, did fail to confess his crimes. Sentence shall be carried out in timely fashion. I stand adjourned. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, Cat Fuckapalooza isn't as bad as you guys make it seem. The fact that you're going to kill him over fire that is, like, started with living cats in baskets, so that's what you were fucking doing? You were going around and you were picking up cats and you're being like, hey, guess what, little kitty kitty, little, little smoogums, oh, do can do your Guess what we're going to do? We're going to burn your ass at the fucking stake along with this fucking warlock. What the hell? What kind of society is this? I'm pretty sure God was, you know, looking down on them being like, hey... I said, put cat, like, cats in baskets around the fire. Not in the fucking fire. You're not going to go in there and fucking burn them alive with these living fucking cats. How evil were cats back in the 1600s? I mean, I get it. Festival. Festival of cat fucking. You know, not really that cool. But at the same time... Do you really need to burn them alive along with this guy that believes he is the son of fucking Satan or whatever the fuck it is? So, of course, they come up to him. They're like, son of Satan, you know, (laughs) if you really want to, you can repent to God right now and everything will be cool. You won't have to worry about it. No, God's chill. Otherwise, we're going to burn you with fucking cats. Like, what the hell? And how do they set that like on fire first? Like, do they light a cat and, like, catapult it into there? I don't know. I don't really want to know, to be honest with you. So, of course, he gives them the smirk, and that's where we meet Redfern for the first time. We see the priests or where the fucking, like, the cat burners uh, leave the tower, and then he goes back upstairs, and he begins his conversation with the warlock. Terrified were they not? Bold words for a man, but hours from death. Much can happen in a day. Yet here have you hung for three. Would not Satan have saved you were he thus inclined? Perhaps he'll save us both, Redfern. I tracked you, my last. Tomorrow shall you die. Never was there a brute more deserving. Believe it upon seeing it. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. So Redfern himself is also pretty cool, I guess, the old cat burning thing. But it seems that he does have some type of, like, grudge against the warlock. Of course, he's been the one that's been hunting him down. So he's the one that wants to make sure that he dies. We don't necessarily know why. We definitely will learn later on in the film. So Redfern all of a sudden starts noticing some weird things going on. There's weird shaking outside. The clouds are starting to gather near there. Of course, when there's more... You know, this movie in general, it has a really bad, like, rapport with its music. I, I don't necessarily know if that's the great greatest word to use with this film, but in general, when it comes down to the music, it puts in so many dumb music cues. Like, yeah, I get it. He's a bad guy. Oh, we're going to start playing the bad music now when he's about to do something bad. Something bad's about to go down, so we're going to change it. I get it. You do that at times. But it, like, 
it does it to like a tenth degree. Where some films may just do it for key scenes where they leave things kind of ambiguous of what's going on. But this movie like starts to start ten minutes before with the terrible music. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, we're waiting for it. It's a slow fucking burn. But maybe you could have like... There's there's definitely one that's coming up and one that maybe you guys have thought about if you have seen this film. But it's so ridiculous that the music is so obvious all the goddamn time. And it's really fucking annoying. So basically clouds, thunder, darkness, lightning, everything like that. And then the symbol disappears from the door. So Redfern freaks the fuck out, runs back upstairs and see that... The warlock has taken off his shackles. And it's a really odd set of shackles. That was the other thing that I was kind of amazed at. Like, the shackles, the way that they are, they're not just around his hands and his feet and, like, holding him there. No, 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 no. They are put in a way so that it covers both of his thumbs. Like, they're screwed into these things. And then his big toes. So his big toes are connected to his thumbs with chain. Well... He's gone. He didn't fade out. Nothing else happened. He just was there for one frame. In the next frame, there's absolutely nothing there. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything. But they disappear. And then we're now brought into modern day Los Angeles. Oh, great. Uh, The area especially that they're in already looks like a shithole. And it's going to make it worse by all this fucking wind coming down there. And throwing garbage and moving cars everywhere. And destroying the homeless encampments that are down there. And it even manages to pass a radio where they start talking about the devil's wind. And that, you know, it's violent and whatever it is. But whatever. It just, this part of LA, it's probably the Sunset Strip, which looks like trash as it is. Or it's Man's Chinese Theater and the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is dirty as a motherfucker. If you've ever been there, it's one of the worst places that you could go in Los Angeles. There's plenty of places that are nice as well. But it... You follow the Tasmanian Devil Tornado, or it looks like that tornado from Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, you know, where you have to go to that bullshit part and nobody tells you what the fuck is going on, so you have to go to that fucking wall and you have to equip that stupid fucking crystal and then kneel down there for like 
15 fucking minutes until that little tornado comes and it just randomly picks you off to the next section and the only reason that you even knew that that shit was even working well was because you had Nintendo Power with the badass fucking cover on it that scared a bunch of motherfucking baby ass kids except for yourself. Yeah, that's the one. You know which one I'm talking about. But it looks like it's something like that going there and then eventually it ends up at the house of one of our main characters who happens to be Cassandra with a K. Why do I say it that way? Because that's the only way she introduces herself to any fucking person in this movie unless they already know him. And her roommate happens to be home and they do happen to hear the crash of the window and who happens to be in their living room but Mr. Warlock himself. He's breathing. Watch out for glass. It's wondering did he cut himself worse. Canyon country. Gets them all. Think he's just drunk? Hate to think he does this kind of thing sober. Oh, what the heck are these? Hey, don't touch him. Let the cops do that stuff. Yeah. Right. Wins. Well, come on. Let's get him up. Yeah, I'll stick him on the porch. A little compassion wouldn't hurt Cassandra. Yeah, or some smarts, Chaz. You know, you just can't take in every stray that you meet. I took you in, didn't I? No, 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 not the sofa. It's over a hundred years old. Where? Your room. Mine. Everything's plastic. Okay, so you gave her the shitty fucking room is what you gave her, is now what you're telling her. Like, everything in your house, Chaz, okay, I already know that you're kind of a douchebag already, even though you did take her in, but your name is fucking Chaz. And Chaz is honestly a douchebag fucking name, okay? And... (laughs) Why would you name this character Chaz? I know I'm going to focus on this probably a little bit too fucking much, but come on. Like, he could have been Charlie or Kip or, you know, some other, like, high-class name. But no, he's Chaz and puts Cassandra with a K in her goddamn, like, plastic fucking room. Like, is he worried that she's going to do something to herself? You know, I understand we do get a little scene in a second to show that she's diabetic. And originally I wrote down... Oh, is she a junkie? Oh, she must be diabetic. Okay, they're insulin. Especially when they focus on the bottle and says, insulin. Oh, okay, I get it. She's not just shooting up smack inside of her, you know, bathroom or whatever it is. But his house has everything expensive. The guy busted through your window. You're worried about him. Who gives a fuck where he lays down? Oh, I hope he's okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this random dude that I think that's on a fucking bender that either crashed or he's on meth or, you know, cocaine you know, well, maybe not cocaine, because he'd probably still be awake unless he had a fucking heart attack. I don't fucking know. But he crashed inside here, and where are you going to put him? You're going to put him in the room that the lady that, like, stays in your house lives in. Is that a fucking smart idea, Chaz? That's why I think that you're a fucking douchebag, even though you're probably a nice guy. And honestly, you're nice to a fault, uh, considering what ends up happening to you. But he does put her in that room, or puts him in her room, I should say. And, you know, he goes to sleep. We see the whole thing with the insulin. And then in the next morning, the warlock himself actually wakes up. 
Miraculous recovery you made. Let me make a suggestion. Lose the booze, huh? Phones are working. Got someone you can call? Could this somehow be the year? Hey, Chaz, he talks English. English, English. Three centuries. Oh, brother. Look, just lie down here. Let your big gray Delco recharge. Okay, so now he's awake and everybody's just like, cool. And then he looks at the magazine that's on or the newspaper and sees that the year is 1989. And he's like, 300 years, is this the year? You know, he doesn't say the years, but he's like, is this the year? In whatever fucking old English way that he says shit. And then she's just like, oh, he's British. How dumb do you have to be? Like, nobody fucking talks like that. Not even the fucking British talk like that nowadays. In fact, British people... Do you say shit like that? Do you talk the way these people do? I don't fucking think so. It doesn't sound like he has like a Cockney accent or anything like that. I mean, I know that's not the only accent that's there, but that's the only one that I fucking remember and recognize. But nonetheless, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you be a little bit fucking wary? Like, you were wary last night, and then today you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, he's talking kind of weird, but dude, he's fucking British, so everything's okay. Nobody that can be fucking British can be fucking bad, right? Right? And look at his fucking clothes. Like, you're looking at him like, what'd you think he was doing? Was he at a Halloween fucking costume contest? Was he sitting there like, oh, I'm gonna win first prize tonight, and he got drunk a little bit too much, bobbing for fucking apples, he lost his balance, and he tripped all the way into your fucking window? Come on. There's something odd about this guy, and you're not fucking even entertaining the thought. Like, you did last night, you told your, you know, housemate... Uh, hey, you know what? We should put this fucker on the porch. And this morning, like, oh, he's fucking awake. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to go drive to work. And then, oh, God. it. I want to go into the next scene so bad, but I have to, like, finish here. Like, how? How do you not have one ounce of thought that this person could possibly be a weirdo? And you'd be like, okay, you're okay. Um, You know, just leave. You know, go get in your car, go wherever where you were, and go. How far does he have to walk up this fucking driveway to crash into their window? Like, did he think that it was his house? Does she think it's just an, another eccentric man that has bought a bunch of shit? And, you know, just happened to think that this was his expensive fucking house and not, you know, your roommate's? It makes no fucking sense. So, from here, it cuts over to her driving down the street. And she's too busy fiddling around with the shit. If this was a nowadays type of scene, you would see her, she'd be on her fucking phone taking selfies or some bullshit like that. You know, she's a early 20-something, and she's, like, trying to get ready for work, so it looks like she's trying to do makeup or whatever, and then she almost hits an old lady in the fucking crosswalk, and then she has the fucking balls, the fucking balls to, one, say, I hope I don't get old like that, you bitch, you're gonna get fucking old, okay? Everybody gets fucking old. I've got a couple years till I'm fucking 60. You know, I've got one fucking year until I'm fucking 40 and I'm already fucking freaking out about it. But you don't hear me talking about, oh, I, I don't want to be that fucking old. Fuck you. And then the second thing, you beep at her as she's crossing the fucking intersection. You see she's got her little Abuelita cart over there. She's just pushing it along, moving across the goddamn intersection. She's dressed up like a mamushka Russian fucking grandma over here. She probably could beat your fucking ass. She probably has her own, like, you know, 
Russian mafia that she's going to have there. Now she's going to call a hit out on your ass because one, you almost fucking hit her. And then two, you beep at her when she's not moving across the goddamn intersection fast enough after you almost fucking hit her, you stupid fucking bitch. What the hell is going on here? Like, get some fucking brains on you. That's all I'm fucking saying, man. You, you worry about shit, then you don't worry about shit, and then you get mad because you almost hit somebody. You get mad at that person instead of being like, oh my god, if I almost fucking did that, I know that in my, my mind, I'd be like, oh my god, what the fuck have I almost done? I'd be like fucking sweating, I'd be worried, like, oh hey, you okay, I'm sorry I didn't see you there, I was being a fucking dumbass and almost fucking ran into you. You know, it would have been funny though if she did <laughs> flip her over the car, I'm, I'm not lying here, you know, part of me wanted to maybe see that because i would laugh my ass off but still like what the fuck is wrong with you so she goes on to work and we go back over to the house and we see now that the warlock he's busy walking around the house and he runs into the kitchen and runs into chaz and um let's say things don't end up very good for the chaz meister here i'm heading out in a little while i'll give you a lift downtown What are you looking at? Oh, my ring. I'm a Scorpio. Or I was. I don't believe in astrology much anymore. Truly. I don't think anyone does. I mean, it's just so... 60s. You hungry? I've got plenty of extras. I'd let you try it on, but see, I broke this little finger, and now it's pretty much stuck. Now, did I hear Cassandra say something about England? You know, I was over there in 86. I did this package thing with, like, some friends. We included uh, England, Scotland. So, okay, now what he does there is he cuts off Chaz's finger with the fucking ring on it. See, the whole time he's got this, like, scorpion ring on his finger, and he's been admiring it the entire time and then after he's like showing him he's still talking then the warlock grabs the knife and just cuts the finger off because as chaz has so like said before he actually can't get it off because he broke his finger at one point and so he rips it off and he throws it on the the table it's on lands on the floor then he takes off the ring and puts it on and it gives him some like new found power that's going on here and he's able to push him away with some magic. Like the ring. Like he somehow knew the ring had some type of like magical capabilities. And he was able to gain new powers and level up. Because he got a new piece of equipment or some shit like that. And the thing that I think is ridiculous here. Is the fact that when he cuts off the finger. Like there's some blood. There's not a lot of blood. But you would think there would be quite a bit of blood. And there isn't. It, like he doesn't really get on his shirt. And he's wearing a white fucking shirt. You think you'd see some blood on that goddamn shirt. Or when he goes and he slams over into the door, that there would be some blood on the fucking door from his hand. Or that the blood would be coming down his arm or anything like that. But there's nothing. And I think you can even see, like, he moves his hand down and holds his pinky finger in so it looks like it's been cut. But he just has his hands fucking there. So some of the worst fucking special effects that I have seen in the longest fucking time... And so he's like yelling for help. He's screaming. The warlock looks over at the little ring over there and puts it on his hand. And then, 
you know, as he's screaming, he lifts him up. And when he lifts him up, he slams his head into the doorknob. And you can definitely see that he's been, like, it hurts. Because when he does it, he doesn't say ow or anything like that, but he winces a little bit. And his head, like, gets, like, knocked around. And so what does he do? Because he, he's been yelling for help. He finally stops. The warlock brings him in and then starts fucking Frenching him. Like, is that going to stop these things? Like, you think, oh, man, I'm sorry. I totally cut off your finger because I really wanted that ring. And I thought it'd give me some more powers, which luckily it did. But I don't, you know, I haven't really had any in a long time. And it's obvious that you're gay. And so... You know, maybe we could get it out. Nope, that's not why he's doing it. He's doing it so he can bite out his fucking tongue. Like, I remember this scene. This is the most vivid scene that I can remember about this movie. And it's the only scene when I was, like, really young that always kind of freaked me out. And it wasn't the fact that those two dudes making out. Because, you know, Julian Sands is kind of hot. I'm not going to lie about anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that he spits the tongue right into the frying pan and it starts to fry. So it's just absolutely crazy. Like the scene is not completely lost, but again, there's not a whole lot of blood and he does leave him there to basically die from his wounds. From here we go back and we see that, you know, Cassandra with a K, she's now working her job as like a waitress or something at a diner and she doesn't even have to dress up. Like, she looks like she did in the morning. Like, she just went out in a short skirt and some, like, frilly, furry top. Like, this pink thing that makes her boobs look totally, like, pointy. Like, they're fucking missiles pointing at somebody. But they're not very big, so it's weird. Um, I'm not saying that big boobs mean that you have to, you know, you get the form or whatever. But it just, it seems odd. Like, this looks like 80s lingerie in full effect here. That's all I'm trying to say. Like... She's not enough to do the Madonna thing with the, you know, the Devo type of cups. At the same time, she wants some kind of, like, lift or something to go on there. And she's getting it, I guess, from this, like, 80s type of lingerie or something like that. So, the main thing that I have a problem with is that she works at this diner and she doesn't even wear, like, an outfit for this place. I would expect that this, unless this place is one of those cool places, but normally waitresses... Or, like, people that wait behind the counter, they all have to dress a specific way. So, she's standing there, she's helping somebody, then all of a sudden a couple cops pull up into a car, and she's taken over to the police station because they're basically interested in what was going on with the roommate, and they're not necessarily very PC about it. Private clubs, dads. Really, he's just a guy I rented a room from. I mean, if he was coming, I was always going. Did he frequent public parks? He didn't dick little boys through bathroom walls, Kay. You said your roommate was gay. Not queer. Big difference. Can you give me the names of his lovers? Coroner's notes. The victim was found with tongue severed from mouth in such a manner as to suggest he was bitten out. Bite marks on the back of the neck. Evidence of massive... I'm not done. I forgot my instinct. We'd like to find this guy before he makes an omelet out of somebody else's tongue. So her first implication here is that, okay, yes, he's gay, but I honestly kind of like the phrase, not so much, but, you know, he's gay, not queer. Like, queer being that he's weird about being gay, I guess. I... 
I don't know, maybe it's not the best phrase in the world, but I thought that it was kind of better for this type of scene. But the fact of the matter that, like, she's assuming that they think that he goes to the park and fucks little boys. Like, that's the reason that they're trying to, like, find him or something like that. Not the fact that, you know what, your friend has been killed, and we just want to make sure that we can find maybe he has a lover or somebody that came over, or, you know, where does he visit? And, of course, they're like, parks, because we all know you know, that gays, they all go to the park and that's where they meet up and that's where they have all the sex. Come on, like, I get it. It's 89, but you could have written it just a little bit better. I know I'll probably get some shit for saying that, but fuck, you know, you know that it's not just the only place that gays can meet. I mean, there's bathhouses, uh, there's Tinder nowadays, uh, but back then, then there's, you know, the Stein Room, uh, you could go there. Uh, there's go-go clubs, uh, there is, you know, Uncle Ronnie's Touchy House, uh, that was always a good place to go, I mean, it's one of those things that you're kind of like, dude, you know, you think that, I get it, one of his lovers could have done it because the tongue was bitten out, and then her way that she gets out of the whole situation, because honestly, she is a little freaked out that the fact that her friend's dead, his tongue's been bitten out, and he bled to fucking death, but... It's like, oh God, I need my insulin. Uh, I have to leave and end this conversation right now. I'm just going to go. And so she goes back home basically to get the fuck out of town. Because you know what? Somebody killed him there. It's time just to fucking leave. And that's it. We cut over and we see that the warlock has now arrived at what they call a Chandler's place. Basically, it's a spiritualist who talks to the dead, right? It's one of those shams, one of those fake people, but... Because he's from 1689, uh, he knows that, hey, there's a possibility that this person's real. Or he assumes that that person's real. And so, what, of course, does he want to do? He wants to go and call good old dad and see if she can now bring him uh, from the spirit world. You are a spiritualist. I'm sorry, I thought everybody left. You hail spirits, do you not? I channel them. Were you uh, at the session? Then channel me a spirit. Well, I really only uh, do group, group sessions. Group sessions. Channel me a spirit. Who did you have in mind? Um, like a relative? Like a father. What's his name? He has many. I'll need one. Zaniel. Zaniel. the true Zamiel to appear. I am Zamiel, 
And only when you have cast aside all doubts will you be able to ask me. Able to do. that you have brought me here. Bring together that which has been burned. Bring together my eyeball. A grand grimoire. Here. Now. By a resourceful witch, it could be retaken. My efforts. How might they be rewarded? Service to Satan is reward. For others, surely. But for that most cunning witch who steals back your Bible, the book that can thwart creation itself, what for him? <laughs> Do what I demand. Bring together all three parts, and you shall be him. Him. The one begotten son. It shall be me. Let my eyes Okay, so there's a couple things going on in this scene. One, she's obviously a fake fucking psychic because she starts faking the whole thing right away. And he sees right through that. So maybe it does lead me to believe that he doesn't think that she's the real deal, but that the crystal that he's holding that he's asking her to use to summon Satan is basically going to actually bring Satan about. So he knows that he needs a vessel. This person might have some type of spiritual attunement and hey, give it a shot. She might as well do it. The fact that also she says grope, I get it. It's a joke, but it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of funny. You know, the fact, oh, it's just a Freudian slip. Hey, get it, guys? Uh, Because she thinks she's, like, (laughs) that Julian is really hot and she has a chance, right? So, well, I don't think she has a shot, but he's kind of, okay. But it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, "Eh, you don't really need it in there. And honestly, as she starts to slowly become him, you can tell that she knows that something weird is going on. The makeup that they use when she does turn to Satan is kind of okay. Like, for the time, and and that's kind of a running theme, not just with the music, but the makeup and the special effects for all the, like, people is not that great when you look at the rest of the film. It, you know, long teeth and kind of grayish, jaundiced type of flesh. The eyes don't look that bad, but he's just like, okay... Satan's finally here, and Satan's like, you got to find my book, right? This suddenly thing that's been torn into, like, three parts. And if anybody was fucking looking after this thing, why do you only tear it into three parts? 
Like, that makes no fucking sense to me. If I'm going to try to hide something from a bunch of witches, I'm going to make it like a giant fucking scavenger hunt. How many pages in that fucking book? Oh, there's 250? Well, I'm going to make 250 places the places he has to go, but of course, this is a movie, and we need to move the plot along, so we're all going to split it into three different ones. And then he is a crude fucking businessman at this point, because he's like, you know, Satan honestly has the upper hand here in saying that, hey... You know what? Working for me, that is its own fucking reward. I'm fucking Satan, and you're fucking worshipping me. You need to make sure that you just follow what the fuck I say. Not try to do your own fucking bullshit. Not trying to reason with me. I brought you here. I saved your ass. You're gonna be fucking burned alive with fucking kitty cats, which I fucking love. But you know what? I need to make sure that I get my book back because it's easier during this time because there's only three fucking parts instead of the normal fucking, you know, one book or millions of books that they could have built throughout the whole thing. They could have made books and put pages in different fucking books. There's so many things that they could have done that would have been a better failsafe than, oh, we're going to break it apart in three things and give it to three fucking people and that's it. And this is like some stupid fantasy trope that always happens, even in fucking role-playing games. Oh, you got to go collect the three crystals. You gotta collect the three fucking pendants, or else, you know, that's the only way that you're gonna get the magical sword. Why? I understand when the good guys do it, but when the good guys do it to the bad guys, what the fuck? Can't you just break it up into, like, you know, at least seven things, so that you have seven things to bring together, so that way that you can fight Ganon in the final fucking level? You, come on, there's gotta be a better way that you could do these things. So, he's like, no, that's not good enough. Fuck you, I'm fucking Satan, it's fucking good enough. And then he's like, okay, I give in. Like, what the hell, man? Like, Satan, I didn't know you're that much of a fucking bitch that you're just gonna give in because somebody's gonna get something that's gonna, you know, destroy the whole fucking universe or something. So, he agrees to go along and Satan says, take my eyes. And I'm like, take your eyes? What the fuck does that mean? And he grabs a knife and he carves out her fucking eyes. Actually, he grabs the crystal that's on the table that shattered once Satan showed up and cuts her fucking eyes out. And that's was like the scene that we were supposed to see and we didn't actually get to see because the effect wasn't very good. And I can kind of understand why. Though with a $15 million budget in 1989, you think they could have done a lot more. Was was Julian Sands that expensive? Is that the reason why? I, I don't fucking know. I'm just asking you guys the question. So he grabs her eyes and that I do like. The practical effect for the eyes That looks great. And he's holding him in his hand, and that's going to lead him to where he needs to go. Cut back, and we see that Cassandra with a K has arrived back at the house, and she's ready to just get the fuck out of there. There's some weird, like, shadows that kind of go around. You see some feet, and then all of a sudden a cat comes out of one of the hallways, and you're like, oh, it's just a fucking cat scare, that's all it is. But then it happens that Redfern, he's shown up to the place, and he's also been brought into the future, though he doesn't necessarily know why. It sounds like he kind of does because he was tracing the warlock, but, you know, he doesn't necessarily know why he's here at this specific time. So, he scares the the hell out of Cassandra with the K, and he tells her, like, look, did he fucking bleed? And she's like, what? Did he fucking bleed? Did I fucking stutter? Like, did he fucking bleed? And she's like, well, he came in through the window... And, well, there's got to be something around. So she dumps out the vacuum cleaner, and then he sifts through it for the glass, and he actually does find some of the warlock's blood on the glass. 
She goes off into the distance, tries to escape him, and calls the police and says, Hey, there's somebody here in this house, and I want to make sure that you guys come here and fucking save me, but you know what? I'm going to get the fuck out. And when she tries to jump out the window, that's when he asks where her well is, and then she shows him over to the bathroom to where he puts together the witch compass, which is going to allow him to find the warlock using his blood. But of course, there's a little bit of... Abbott and Costello type of confusion with the name of the goddamn compass. Now, Brute, one last time will we play the game out. What is it? Please do not even breathe on it. Some kind of compass? Which compass? This one here. What of it? What is it? As I say, it is a witch compass. Oh, you mean witch? Not witch. Like Samantha Tabitha, witch. Like the warlock. That, that guy was a, a warlock? The rudest that ever troubled daylight. And this little jarber's gonna find him, right? The needle shall point up his direction. The quicker it swings, the closer is he. The slower, the more distant. Why, cool. What a cover shit. <laughs> this isn't gonna work. Give it time. The blood was thin. Time something you ain't got, buddy. This is when the cops show up to the residence, and when he opens the door, they taser his house and drop him down, and then take him along with him. She starts packing up, getting everything ready to go, because she's just fucking tired of this shit. And I totally understand, because I would be completely tired of this shit too, if every five fucking seconds, there's always something going on in this house. There's random people crashing through, there's dead roommates, now there's another guy that's talking to you about a witch compass, which she gets totally into, by the way. You can hear it there in that clip, like she's not completely like afraid of what's going on she's really interested and then when it doesn't do anything she's just like oh well look at that you're just fucking crazy and she knows the cops are on their way and they show up so she tries to get the fuck out of there while she's going around the house then all of a sudden she looks at the compass and it starts moving like crazy and then all of a sudden the warlock shows up and he goes after her. He goes, well, he first he goes into the living room and he destroys a piece of furniture, which happens to have one of the pieces of the book. So it's magically in the gay guy's house too. He's picked up all this old fucking expensive ass furniture and he just so happens, just so happens to have the fucking piece of the book right there. Of course he does. Then he sees the girl. He goes after her. She tries to escape, but he ends up taking a little bracelet charm from her, and then he curses her with a very oddly specific curse. Tout, tout, thrown about your callow life in dismay. Rentum, osculum, tormentum. A decade twice over a day. So basically what he's going to do, or what's going to happen to her, is that she's going to age rapidly. She's going to keep growing to be 20 more years Every single day. Now, if I were to take the curse at face fucking value, which you, I believe that you should, you're going to gain twice your age every day, right? So right now, she's supposed to be in her 20s. That would mean that 
every day she's going to be tomorrow she's going to be 40 and then she should go twice her age and become 80 on the third day and be dead by the next day if 80 doesn't fucking kill her already because we all know she's fucking diabetic so who knows within those 20 years that suddenly passed did she take care of herself did her blood sugar drop way the fuck down is it even worse than it fucking should be Fuck, don't know, don't care, never fucking explained. The only thing that we really get to see is that overnight her hair gets fucking long and her nails get long. But she has enough time before the next morning to cut her hair down and trim everything and look somewhat presentable. She complains that she's really fucking old, but dude, you're only 40 and you shouldn't look that bad for being fucking 40. You know, I've seen a lot of people that were way fucking worse and went on way more, like, hard times when they hit that age rather than what she looks like, which her hair shouldn't have grayed that fucking much either. It should still be, like, unless that's actually her hair color because obviously the orange hair that she fucking has is not a real fucking hair color and maybe this brownish gray is really what it should be. It really, they try to make her look super old, but she's really not that old. 40 is not that fucking bad. I don't have a whole lot of fucking gray hairs on my fucking head. It's nothing that I need to fucking worry about, or or do I next year, is all of a sudden that it's going to fucking turn, it's going to be fucking 2020, and I'm going to have nothing but a gray fucking dome on top of my head. Is that the way this shit's going to go? I don't fucking think so. Fucking suck it up, buttercup, and deal with the fact that you've been fucking cursed. And what does she do? She decides, oh, fuck, Redfern, maybe he's going to be the guy that I need to go over and actually get his help because what he was fucking talking about was fucking real. So let's go bust him out of jail, which she does. I don't know how she pays his bail or if she decided to say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, they called him on accident and really he was supposed to be a guest and it's all my fucking fault. You shouldn't have fucking tased him. Like, come on. All of a sudden now that things are going your way, the guy that you were totally afraid of is not the guy to be afraid of and probably could have stopped everything that was going on had he fucking been there in the first place. So she picks him up and she begins driving around with him. That's where she realized that what exactly is going on with her and exactly what year both he and the warlock are from. 1691? Aye. Like almost 300 years ago? As queer it seems to you, just even more so to me. He did this. 20 fucking years and not one party. What a total ass burner. The altar table, he broke it? Yeah, he broke it. Hey, look, I didn't spring it so you'd come fix furniture. What about me? How do we fix my face? What was it he took from you? Uh, 20 years. An object. What kind of object? Something small, something personal to you. My bracelet. Like that? He took my charm bracelet. Then you must reclaim it. Only then can the spell be countered. Reclaim it? This I spied earlier. Tis yours? The whole of it? Just salt. We'll take your coach. We'll take a minute here. Do you mean I gotta get my bracelet back to break the spell? Back from that warlock? The guy who finger paints with body fluids? Tis the one way. This you must do. There is no question of it. Hey, you see this? Insulin. It's the one thing I must do. I hate it because I have to do it. I'll just cut and dye my hair again. Hey, 
Forty ain't so bad. I'll buy a little tennis skirt and prance around town like those bitches in their BMWs. Sorry, Redfern, but if you're nuts enough to want to find this guy, you're on your own. You realize not. Realize? What? What the spell has done. It's aged me 20 years. Not aged. Aging. Are you saying that tomorrow I'm going to wake up 60? I say this. Unless you find the warlock and thereby your bracelet, you shall die in but half a week. Die? Of old age. Okay, so that might have been my fucking reaction too when I'm finding out that I'm probably going to be dead by Wednesday. That everything started, well, not Wednesday, Tuesday, because I think everything starts on a Saturday and then by the time that they've caught up to the warlock for the first time, you know, she's already aged twice. But again, like, she's like, I'm going to be 60? No, do the fucking math. You're going to be fucking 80 if you're going to age, like, double every day according to the fucking curse. Ugh, that that part, like, really irks me. The fact that, you know, in two days, well, I'm going to be 60. You're not going to be 60. Like, but that's kind of where the film goes nonetheless. So now it's time for a road trip. And they're going to go and try to find the warlock. They're going to use their little compass to now figure out where he's going and to understand or maybe find the pieces of the book before he actually does. Though, at this point... I feel like it's more of a chase movie, right? Like they're actually trying to follow him. They're trying to figure out where he's going to be, you know, to make sure that maybe they can stop him at that specific point. So he doesn't really freak out, which I thought he might in the first kind of like part. I really felt that there was going to be some type of like, oh my God, I'm in this place 300 years and look at all the shit that's around here now type of moment. But no, he just kind of gets in the car. He does look at the landscape kind of weird. And they do go by Man's Chinese Theater, which again, the area around it is kind of a shithole. So I guess maybe he feels like home. I don't really know. Oh, I'm surprised they didn't see like SpongeBob or Mickey Mouse or, you know, Homer Simpson or, you know, even Mr. Muscles down there trying to like get them to take pictures with him or something. You know, it's one of those things that... I, I just felt like there should have been a little bit more than that. And that he just gets in the car. There is the awkwardness of him getting in the car for the first time. You know, he doesn't realize that there's another door. But he, if he's been in any type of carriage, you would know that there's two doors to a vehicle. Uh, that's kind of weird. But that he's freaking, not freaking out, I should say, about being in a moving car that's not being, you know, drawn by a horse. That, hey... You know, he's just kind of cool with it. So they're driving along and that leads to one of those more, uh, I wouldn't say awkward, but one of those kind of like, oh, you're so weird moments in the film. Look, if you're hungry, we'll just stop. Okay. What are you doing? Salting the leather. <laughs> no kidding. How come? Which is low salt? Don't blame them. Salt, sugar, sulfites. All that shit will kill you. Tell me, must we travel on just one side of the roadway? Or is it whichever we choose? Yeah, it's just one side. Which side might that be? The right side. 
Let your attention lie before you, not beside you. <laughs> Check this, some guy from the 17th century teaching me how to drive. How quick they learn. Okay, see, this is where, again, you're a dumb fucking bitch. Like, I hate to, like, harp on that and maybe use those words, whatever, but fucking A, man. You already did this once. Was that just a lead-up to this specific fucking scene? Like, this was foreshadowing? She doesn't have fucking pay attention? And wouldn't you, like, you would feel the car fucking drift, wouldn't you? Like, it's gonna go into the other fucking lane like, you're gonna move on unless you're not paying a fucking attention, which this guy from the 1600s knows, knows right away that this isn't right. And and the truck, they don't beep until they're almost fucking upon them. You know, he would have been beeping for a while, like, what the fuck is this crazy bitch doing? She's driving right for me. Honk, 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 honk. Like, it wouldn't have waited until you almost fucking ran to it. Of course, that truck would have taken them fuck out anyway, so maybe it was just, like, that maximum overdrive truck going to his destination. He's going to get his fucking Joker face on him, and that he doesn't really care, or his Green Goblin face, I should say, and, like, destroy the fucking thing. He doesn't really fucking care. So... He manages to get her to swerve out of the way and then scolds her for it. And she's like, look, this guy here teaching me how to drive. (laughs) You know, come on. Really? That's fucking stupid. So they continue driving on. Oh, she also makes fun of him, too, for the fucking whip thing. Like, they don't like salt. This is what I'm doing. Like, I'm doing something that's going to fucking help us. But whatever. So from here, we move on and we see this. This is the other scene that I remember, and I remember for some reason there being a little more to it than there actually was, but we see a kid playing with a football, and he's throwing it up in the air, and he's talking about how, you know, great, oh look, here's the pass, and then he accidentally throws it a little bit too far, and who catches it? But the warlock, and so he looks over there, and uh, he looks at the kid like he's a fucking creep, like, major pedophile vibes going on from Julian Sands here. Like, I don't know if that was exactly the way that you wanted to look at the little kid, but that's the way that you looked at the little kid. And so, of course, he goes and sits with him on the uh, swing, and the kid tells him something that actually really, really excites him. You can't punt on first down. Nobody does that, not even Tampa Bay. Don't you watch football? Whence comes it? Huh? The music. Oh, there's a church over there. And how is it you're not there? Oh, I never go. My dad hates all that stuff about Jesus and the 12 apostrophes. Oh, I intercepted. Your turn. How come you're not there? Church? Yeah, it's Sunday. No witch can set foot on church ground. You're telling me you're a witch? You ain't no witch. Witches are girls. Some are men. Yeah? So where's your broomstick? Witches fly on broomsticks. Didn't you never see the Wizard of Oz? I need no broomstick to fly. Yeah? What do you need? Okay, so yeah, it's super creepy. I mean, come on, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers weren't that bad of a team back in the day in the late 80s, or maybe they were. Maybe they are now. Uh, I don't know, but nonetheless, like, the whole interaction is really quite odd. Like, 
he's there. It's like, oh, there's a singing. And in the background, you can see it says Gospel Church. So obviously, there is a church nearby. And what, you can't fucking read? You can read the fucking grimoire pages, but you can't fucking read a sign in the back that says Gospel fucking Church. And then the kid's out there. So maybe he did kind of like was leading the kid in a way so that he could find out whether or not he was baptized. But the next scene that we see is uh, Cassandra with a K in Redfern pulling up to a gas station, her explaining how cool credit cards are, because guess what? You can just spend up to your fucking limit, and then when you're at your fucking limit, then that's when you can start putting in. You just put in a 50 spot and you'll be fucking okay. What kind of fucking lesson is that? Hey, just go ahead and spend all your fucking money that you don't fucking have because it doesn't really fucking matter. Ugh. But anyway, so she's filling up and that's when we find out that there's like gunshots in the distance and that some local people have killed a coyote. And so they believe that the coyote was killed because uh, one of the coyotes supposedly skinned a kid alive, which happens to be the kid that we were just listening to a little while ago. So he runs over Redfern and he sees the crowd after they've thrown the dead coyote there. And one of the ladies in the crowd looks at it and she's really distraught. She starts walking away. And that's where he asks her about the kid and whether or not he was the one that was killed. And asks her a very personal question. Hey, wait. It was your son, the boy, killed. For your loss I grieve. But I have need to ask one thing. Had he been baptized? Who are you? Why are you asking me this? Was the boy baptized? No. His father wouldn't allow it. So, clue me. The warlock will travel swifter now. I'm not tracking here. You think he killed a kid? Of all ingredients used by which the most coveted is human fat. And if that fat is cut from an unbaptized male child, there is but one purpose. One thing it will beget. I'm listening. Flying potion. Okay, wait. So you're telling me that if I have the fat of an unbaptized child, that I'll be able to make a potion to fly? Is that what you're telling me? Because honestly, I think I know where I can get some unbaptized child fat. Like, there's an outlet. It's around here. I could go get some. I can make a flying potion. Then I can fucking fly wherever the fuck I want. This is like the greatest fucking thing ever. I can just go out there and start... No, okay. I can't go out there and start killing children. Like, let's just get a fat little tubby kid and do some fucking lipo on him. Like, this is like the best thing ever. Why has nobody explored this option? Why can't we just go out there, find ourselves the chubby little fat fat... And fucking boil that fucking fat up after we've sucked it out of his body. We kill two birds with one stone. The kid is now thin. He's great, right? He's got a happy life. And maybe we have just like an unbaptized fat kid farm. Where we just like, look, kid, okay, we're going to make sure we regulate what you eat so you're not like unhealthy. But you're like a healthy fat, right? If that really fucking exists. I know that for a case probably doesn't work for me. But, okay, so we have them there. And then we just... Plug him into like a lipo machine. This is like, you know, butter is going through and getting fat for city walk, right? And then they just do some home lipo. We get the fat out of a system, just suck it through a tube. And then, boom, we boil that fucking fat and we can fly the fuck in it wherever the fuck we want. You want to go to Disney World for the day? Child fat. You want to go to fucking Japan? Child fat. 
You want to go get some uh, Brazilian hookers? Child fat. It all fucking makes sense. Why aren't we fucking doing this? So the next scene, of course, from here is him boiling the child fat over an open flame and then drinking the potion, uh, which now has given him the power of flight. He also has the power to, like, do magic with his hands now. Like, he can cast flame, you know. He casts magic missile whenever the fuck he wants because it's a goddamn cantrip, but... You know, now he can throw a fireball. So, he's leveling up. Man, he's doing all things. Like, level one, kill gay guy and obtain his ring. Spit out his tongue. Level two, obtain the book, you know, fireball. Level three, kid fat. And now he's got the ability to fly. So, so far, being a warlock, except for the whole, like, having to obey Satan and, like, follow his rules and find his fucking book, is not that bad. Especially nowadays. I could understand back in, like, the 1600s that... Where are you going to find an unbaptized child, right? Unless you're, you know, you've got your own farm. And then you have to totally go out there and slaughter the motherfucker. And then steal his child fat that way. Nowadays, lipo. It all works. So he swallows the fat. And now he has the ability to fly. We go back into the car. And we see that the two of them are, well, Cassandra with a K. She's trying to understand a little more about Redfern. And he asks her, well... She asks him a couple of questions that really get on her skin, but she also gives us an explanation of why she is so goddamn smart. You got KKT1 Tucson, riding shotgun and keeping No you little people inside. Long, long I gathered. Want to know how it works? If you'll help find the warlock. Highly doubtful. Hey, you know the Earth is round? For some years now. Ask me anything. I took two years of high school. Come on, ask me something. Why is it you paint your face? Nothing wrong with a little makeup, <laughs> especially now. Satanists paint their faces, not goodly women. Are you saying in 1691, gals didn't wear any makeup? If my Marion had but... Nay, goodly women do not paint themselves. You married way back there? Oh, you just said my Marin. Who's she? We need new bearing. Your sister? Pray stop the coach. Squeeze. Stop here. Who the shit's Marin? Stop! So he gets out of the car and uses his witch compass, you know, that compass, and tries to find out where the warlock actually is. So those questions that she asks him, he gets a little defensive of the whole Marion thing. And it's obvious that she is something very important to him. And we get a little bit at the end where she's asking all those weird questions under her breath. Like, your sister? You know, main squeeze? Like, somebody? Like, anybody? And of course, doesn't want to speak a goddamn word about it. So those questions that she does ask, like, in the beginning, like, she goes on the whole radio thing, there aren't little people in it, like, totally fucking condescending, and then she comes out and says, oh yeah, I took two years of fucking high school. Really? Two years? That's it? That's, that's your whole educational system? I get it. Back in the day, you know, not everybody went to college or whatever, but you, in the 80s, or even, like, late 70s, you had to finish fucking high school, right? You had to go through, what the fuck did you do? You have a wasted fucking education. That's why you live in somebody's house as their fucking roommate. You know, that's why you don't drive your car fucking right. That's why you, 
just make an idiot of yourself wherever you get the fucking chance. I mean, maybe even being a little bit fucking harsh on her. And I understand not everybody's the same way. And there's definitely a difference between street smarts and fucking book smarts. You know, there are plenty of people I know that, you know, didn't go to college, you know, necessarily or only took a little bit of time. And they're pretty goddamn smart about a lot of fucking things, you know. But she's not smart about any fucking thing. Like, the whole time that she's there, all she's doing here in this situation is just trying to get her fucking bracelet back so that way she doesn't fucking die in the next couple days. So... I get it. And she doesn't need to be so goddamn condescending to him. She knows that he's from the 1600s. And, like, I like the fact that she says, you know, the world's around, you know. He's like, of course. Like, I knew that already. We were have known that the world is around. He's in the fucking States. If you would have been in fucking high school for more than those two fucking years, you would have realized that he was probably, you know, if this is like Salem witch trial type of area type of shit, that they're in the fucking States and that's already when people realize that the world wasn't fucking flat anymore, you stupid fucking... Ugh. Okay. But they stop the car. He starts getting the compass together. And then when she steps out, she begins to age once again. And now she's turned fucking 60. The movie doesn't even follow its own fucking rules. She shouldn't be fucking 60. She should be 80 and barely able to fucking drive the car. In fact, she should be having to go to the goddamn DMV and take her fucking test to make sure that she can still drive that fucking car and she doesn't end up at that fucking, uh, you know, country kitchen buffet running into fucking people. Already almost done it. You know, she should already be fucking taking her driver's test once a fucking again because she can't really fucking drive that car. So, of course... They continue on with her journey. She continues to drive. And we see that the warlock actually has arrived and found the second part of the book at some random farm out in the middle of Arizona. And in the morning, we see that the the like the father of the guy that owns the place, he looks like he's Amish. Okay? Like he and he turns out that he's actually a Mennonite. And he notices that things are going wrong. He tells his son, hey, the cream is spoiled. He goes out to the horse. He sees the horses are sweating. He goes out and he sees that other thing is going wrong with the farm. And he tries to get his son to understand. But of course, his son is a fucking idiot and doesn't take any hints that he's got. So he paints a hex on the side of the farm, I guess, to ward off evil spirits, to keep him there, to be a signal to somebody. I don't know why the fuck he would do it, other than it being a fucking plot device. We go back and we see that Cassandra with the K and Redfern are again driving, and again she probes him on who the fuck Marion actually is, and he actually acquiesces and tells her the story of Marion. Can I ask you a question? Will you please not have a meltdown this time? Ask. Who's Marion? That's why you're after the warlock, isn't it? Yesterday, you cared not to know such things. Yesterday, it was 20 years ago. She... She was... Your age. Your true age. What a blessed vision. Soul as pure as God's own. My Marion. She was my good wife. I said you weren't married. It was long ago, even before here I came. What happened to her? The warlock happened. 
So yeah, we don't know exactly what happened, and we're never really told. All we know is the warlock did something to her. He probably killed her for some type of, like, ritual or whatever, and that's why he, you know, went after him in the first place. So... We see them drive along a little more. She tries to probe him a little bit more about it, but he notices the damn hex on the side of the fucking barn and has her turn over there. He busts into the place, asking them, hey, what the hell is going on? The wife, meanwhile, like she's baking and she notices that, hey, the bread is actually not rising. And that's actually when he busts in. The father, you know, the grandfather, I guess we could say, he busts into the room at the same time and basically says, I know what's going on. I'm the one that drew the hex outside. And then we that's when we find out that he is a Mennonite. And if you don't know the difference between Mennonites and Amish, basically Mennonites can have some type of electricity. So it would be okay for him to live in this place. And I had no idea that there were even Mennonites in fucking Arizona or any part of fucking California if we're still in fucking California. Which I don't believe we are because the radio said that we were outside of Tucson for some reason. So, well, we're following the Warhawk. There is a reason. But I thought they would have stayed inside of California. Uh, it's actually not that bad of a drive if you're driving from L.A. over there. It's probably about eight hours worth of a drive uh, to get into the area if you really wanted to know. Which, now you do. And the more you know, the better it is. So, they go and see that he's upstairs in the attic of the house convinces the other parts of the family with the kids that they need to get them and get the fuck out of there. And they decide to go up and nail the barn door shut or the the attic door shut that leads to the outside and go upstairs. And he tells them basically, hey, look, I'm going to tell you to raise the ladder at some point. Uh, When I do, make sure that you you keep me up here if the warlock is actually up here because I'm going to make sure that I kill him. So he goes searching around and what does he find? But he finds one pages of the grimoire. Uh, just kind of laying out there. He takes out his knife. He cuts it in half. Well, I believe he actually just tears it, puts it on the ground, and then it forms back together, which freaks him the fuck out. And they realize that, wait, there's no reason why only one page would be left inside that attic. He's come for it. Blessings of heaven to stick around. Grimoire is after. All witches keep grimoires, yet one is indestructible. One is the Bible of black magic, the grand grimoire. Always witches have lusted for it. And now here I find a page, one long page. It was last held by a Boston church, the West End church. I had urged them to third the book, thus thirding the chance of a witch thieving it. But the pages were to be kept on hallowed ground, not scattered about the landside like... Where's a warlock? He's fled. I don't get it. If this saying is so bitch into witches, why would he leave a page? Even just a page? He would not. The steps! So, there's a couple of things that I forgot to mention. One of them, which is the most ridiculous piece of makeup that I've seen in this fucking film. Besides the fact of her looking 60. Like... She doesn't look that bad. One, she manages to cut down her hair once again. So the wig goes from being super long once again to being just kind of not a bob cut, but just, you know, longer hair on top of her head. And now it makes sense that it's mostly gray and not just some like, you know, peppered type of look. But even again, at fucking 40, you're not going to have almost that much gray hair. Uh, But 
she he tells her to put pennies in her mouth so that it protects her from like hexes and curses but doesn't tell the old grandfather guy like maybe so it doesn't make it worse or something and being near the warlock is going to make things much worse but they're just like hanging there and they're obviously like she's not like holding them in her mouth with her mouth because she's able to talk like it's obviously a mask or a piece of prosthetic that she's wearing because they're just hanging out there and yet she's able to talk perfectly fine even though she mumbles a little bit and it's probably some of the prosthetics that's causing that issue but it just looks fucking ridiculous so she realizes that hey he wouldn't leave one and like oh shit you're right so he's upstairs and he goes back up there, have some uh, put the stairs up, and that's when they meet for the very first time in the longest time. And he realizes that, uh, you know what, I can't really kill him by stabbing him right now because he's wearing a very special type of armor. Of all the curiosities here I've seen, none have surprised me more than this. The place! Forgotten witches fly. I forget nothing. Who appointed you executioner, Redford? It was you yourself. When one life too many, you did steal. Seems even two-thirds can work marvelous. So he's using the book basically to protect himself and use it as a type of like, you know, plate mail or some shit like that. And when he stabs him, he stabs the book instead. And then the book comes back together and actually saves the warlock's life. Because he does stab him and then moves it up like he's gutting him. Which is actually kind of a G move, to be honest with you. But... It sucks that he's not able to kill him right away. So they scuffle a little bit more. He does get the whip around his leg. And it does burn him some. But he also gets thrown out the window with the magic fireball. uh, And that allows the warlock to escape from up there. The warlock himself grabs a weather vane. Like he uses his magic to make a weather vane move. And then throws it at his fucking dick. Come on, guy. That's yet another thing that you don't throw at somebody or do to the dick. You don't puncture it with a fucking weather vane, a giant fucking weather vane at that. But I get it. You're the bad guy. You want to make sure that you stop him. Uh, so maybe it's not that bad of a thing that you're doing. But come on. You still don't. You don't do things to people in the dick, man. So Redfield, he grabs um, the weather vane. And because he was able to whip him around the leg, it gets caught over the barn. He can't quite escape. And when he comes out to basically fly away, Redfriend throws it and manages to stab him in the back. And they start to put the shackles onto his fingers and toes. So that way they can, you know, control him. And he won't be able to cast any more magic. In the meantime, the old man, he's helping try to put everything on. Cassandra with a K is just sitting there, not really doing anything, not helping with anything. She should be helping to put it on too. But I guess maybe because she's older now that she doesn't have the strength to do it. I don't fucking know. But he does warn them earlier to not look him in the eyes. And if you do, don't show any fear. 
And, of course, the old man looks him in the eyes, and we get one of the better effects in the movie where he starts bleeding from his eyes and the blood is just gushing everywhere. I really like this one. I think it's one of the better ones in the film. And the fact that it's actually relatively bloody is pretty damn good. Uh, We see that, you know, now that he's getting hurt, Redfern, he goes over there and helps him because he's like, I can't let him die. And the warlock basically hops away uh, on one foot with his hand reaching down at the other foot. So it's good for either the stuntman or Julian to actually be in these shackles and able to move so much. So he gets over there. Uh, he tells Cassandra with a K that he needs she needs to go after him and that she, he can take these this hammer, this blessed hammer with the nails and drive the nails into his footsteps and that'll actually injure him because that's a way to injure witches. So she chases after him and chases him into a train yard to where we see him actually removing the shackles that were on top of him. As soon as he gets the last shackle off, she finds one of his footprints and bam, puts the nail into the footprint, which causes him a lot of pain. She finds another one, does it again, and it causes him a lot of pain, but then he rips up a board on the freight car that he's on and puts it on his feet because the nails can't go through wood. I guess the nails into the footprints won't go through the wood because the wood acts as a barrier. Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but fuck, it works. So he's able to do it, but she does find an imprint of his head on the ground and drives the nail right into the imprint, which of course knocks him unconscious. She sees him a little ways away, his hand is hanging out of the freight car, and he she sees that he's got her bracelet on his arm. So she runs over there and... You know, as much as she can, she stumble, stumble, falls a lot because she's old and can't really keep up. And the train has begun to move at the last possible minute. She kind of stumble dives and he does wake up uh, and gets away. But she manages to get the bracelet back. And now she has reversed the curse. Uh, at least that's what we think is going to be happening. We go back over to the farm and we see that Redfern, he has treated the poor guy and put a bandage over his face. He has these brass keys that he asked for. And he explains to him what he needs to do to basically cure himself of the bleeding from the eyes and make sure that he lives. Who knows if he's ever going to be able to see again. We don't really know because, fuck, this is the last time that we're going to see this character. And we see if getting the bracelet back has actually changed anything. We also definitely get a big plot point from the movie, which carries us off into the final act, which is the reason why he wants this grimoire. Mm. The key should be spun once each hour, clockwise. Not a metal knot with a dressing. By morning, the blood shall stop. How's he doing? I have no excuse. Safe to say that, having seen so many die by the warlock's hand, the chance to spare just one life with mine own. Forget it. I understand. Besides. I got it back. Then let's tarry not. We'll rebuild the compass. The goods are common. Brass, copper, glass. Tis this, his blood that matters most. Here. And here. You've watched me long enough. The gas is on the right, the brakes on the left. 
It's more than I knew when I started to drive. Drive? Me? And take this. It's from a gas. When they give you the slip of paper, just scribble a name. Any name. They never check. You're not coming? Look, you got my car, my money, my best wishes. Later days, Redfern. We had a deal, remember? Just till I got my bracelet back. That was it, man. That was it. You know what he's capable of. You've seen. Why do you think I'm not going? What are you called? It's a little late for introductions, ain't it? Your name. Cassandra with a K. Then hear me well, Cassandra with a K. The warlock holds two parts of the book. This much he confessed. Know you what happened should he gain all three. I don't want to know. I don't. Hidden within that book is the name of God. The lost name of God. The lost name of... Uh-uh. I don't want to hear this. It is the name invoked during creation. Witches charge that should this name, this true name of God, be uttered back to front, should this name be uttered in reverse, all creation will undo to a reverse. Will uncreate? That what you're telling me? The whole world All worlds, Cassandra. All. scares the crap out of me, and he knows it. I'll not let him harm you. Next time, there won't be any spells, no hexes, no potions. Next time, he's gonna kill me. I'll not let him harm you. We travel north? Trust me on this, Kay. But if all along the warlock has born We're east... We're not gonna play tag with this guy, not anymore. What would you have us do? Kids in 1691 ever play a game where they jump over someone else's back to get ahead? Leaping frog? There you go. Instead of tag, we play leapfrog. If we get to that church in Boston, they gotta have records, right? Forget the warlock, we'll find the last part of the book instead. Are you sparked? But what happens if the church is no longer standing? I didn't shoot your plan full of holes. So, okay, there's a bunch of things that are going on here. She's excited that she got her bracelet back, and now all of a sudden her hair is back to normal. Like, everything reverted. Like, to me, that doesn't make any sense. Like, it's just going to cancel the curse and turn you back to what you were at the point that you be, like, the curse started. Like, why wouldn't it just leave her with the long hair, undyed, or whatever? Maybe it turns the color back to be, like, her original color rather than her fucking orange fucking color, her little Oompa Loompa head that she had before. But it shouldn't make her look like she did at the beginning of the fucking movie. Like, to me, that is fucking ridiculous. The other thing that's going on is that she wants no part of it anymore because she said straight up that this is the only reason I'm coming with you and we're done. We also find out that they've never told each other their names. She only know his name. He never fucking knew her name. That doesn't make any fucking sense. How long have they been with each other? At least, you know, almost 48 hours. Like, at some point, well, I'm Cassandra with a K. You know, oh, I'm Redfern. Okay, not just, we're just going to do this stuff. And now this is the point that he finally fucking asks her, what is your fucking name? Then she's like, no, I'm going to go away. But you have seen, he is totally right. You've seen what he's done. You know exactly what he's going to do. And he explains to her straight up that if he finds the book, that he's going to learn the true name of God. 
in that if he says the name of God both forwards and backwards, it's going to undo everything. Like, time itself, there's not going to be anything left. What does that do for the warlock? Like, that makes no sense to me, too. Like, I understand you're doing Satan's bidding, Satan has a plan, and you're going to take it back to the point that Satan was in paradise, but what's going to happen to you? You're going to be his right-hand man, but aren't you just going to be unmade? Like, you're going to say it, and then, because obviously, you worship Satan, you know that Satan's not really a stand-up type of guy. Like, he's going to fuck you over in some way, shape, or form. I'm pretty, like, honestly, like, sure that that's probably going to happen with this situation, right? He's not just going to sit back and be like, okay, you're not going to be undone, but everything else is going to be undone because we're totally cool, and that's what I agreed to. Did you hear the laugh that Satan has when he asked for more? And he's like, okay, okay, you can be like my son. You can be the Antichrist if you want to be, but I'm not really going to give this guy anything. (laughs) I'm just going to screw him over. He's going to die anyway if he helps me, so fuck it. I'll let him believe what he wants to believe. Do you understand it? Do you get this guy? What the fuck is wrong with him? So he's looking for that last part of the book to learn that, and when she finds that out, when she finds that specific thing out, that's when she's like, okay, I definitely will do it, but it's going to be on my terms. And she actually has the smartest idea out of the whole breadth of ideas so far that she's had in this film, which is, let's go to fucking Boston and find the pages before he does. Because if there's a way that they can protect it, make sure that he doesn't get it, perfect, let's do it. And so how are they going to get there? They're going to fucking fly. And this is where we actually get one of the freakouts of the film. But before we do that, she tries to use her credit card again, and... Again, another thing that doesn't make any sense, and it's total movie logic when it comes to this like portion of the film, where she goes and she has them run the credit card. And it's a time where they actually have the digital credit card readers. So it's all plugged in. The, the lady's going to go scan because she's going to buy tickets. And then she unplugs the thing before it gives back whether or not it's rejected or approved. Okay, even if you did that, Back then, there were the paper things. I don't know exactly what they are, but they're basically like a card imprinting machine, right? For those of you that don't know what the fuck this thing is, it's basically where you would take your card, right, your credit card, and you'd put it on this thing, and they would... And it would leave an imprint on another piece of the form, and that's how they would charge your card. But you still had to fucking call and find out whether or not they had a credit limit to support whatever the fuck you're doing. This bitch behind the damn counter is just like, oh shit, my machine's not working, I'll just give you the tickets anyway. So they don't even have to fucking pay to fly to fucking Boston from fucking Arizona, or they may have driven back to fucking California and left from LAX for all the fuck I know because they went away from where they were. They could have just gone to Phoenix and gone to that fucking airport instead, got on a fucking American Airlines flight or something, and then the plane, oh my god, the plane that they're going on is like huge. It's fucking huge to go cross country, and I don't remember planes being that fucking huge, like spacious, like even when I started flying, like it was still these little fucking puddle jumpers, and now they make you sit in something where you can barely fit three fucking people to a goddamn row, and you still have to fly across the fucking country with it. I'm talking to you, fucking Southwest, you and your little piece of shit planes that you used to fly everywhere in your fucking annoying fucking boarding system. That's right, I'm calling you fucking out right fucking now. I am tired of flying with you. Can you please get better planes and a better fucking type of boarding system? Because that waiting in fucking, you know, 
Group fucking C drives me fucking crazy. And I'm not really planning on flying with anybody else because, you know what? They would probably fuck me over in other ways. I feel like I'm going into a Joe Pesci from fucking Lethal Weapon sketch. You know, they fuck you with the planes, they fuck you with the seats, and they fuck you with your destination. Ugh. Nonetheless. So, they're gonna about to get onto the plane. And, of course, he's uh kind of freaking out that they're going to go into a flying machine. And the fact that he managed to smuggle that giant fucking weather vane with him through fucking security. Come on, let's hurry not. These winged machines, the ones that thunder? Planes. But men travel inside them, through the air? Men like us, come on. Oh, no, no. Look, you. In my day, those even endeavoring to fly are accused of witch hunting. No, no, look yourself, okay? The book is in Boston. That means we've got to beam out there and find someone who knows. My boots work best with ground beneath them, directly beneath. What am I going to have to do here? Hold your... Oh, shit! Where did you get this? The farmhouse. No, I know, but I mean, you're gonna have to leave it here, you know. I'll not abandon my every weapon. Look, we're gonna miss our plane. Give it to me. No. Look, Buster, I'm in charge of the safari now, and if I say you're gonna... Keep it. Keep it? Quit arguing with me and just keep it! So that's the only time the music cue actually fucking works in the way that it should. The other thing I forgot to mention for this film is that there's noise all the fucking time. I know I've talked about this with other films before, but it's really blatantly obvious in this film. Whenever they're in the car, there's the sound of the car fucking humming. Whenever they're in the, when they're in the airport or in a crowded area, there's a fucking crowd that goes on in the background. Like they can't have fucking silence at any fucking point in this movie. There always has to be something that's distracting you from the shit that's going on in the fucking scene. And, the the music, like, even when the beginning, when we saw Chaz get killed, right? Like, everything leading up to that moment was all of this, like, creepy music. So you know something bad was going to happen to him. It wasn't, it was about what exactly is it going to be. And I think it would have been a lot more, you know, uh, explosive. Maybe that's not the word that I want, but... That's what I thought. There'd be more impact to that scene in the fact that his finger got cut off. Is it still kind of like, you know, surprising? A little bit. But you know that something's going to happen and they kind of lay everything out. Here, when the warlock actually shows up and she sees that he's walking towards them, like, that music then starts to play because he's popped up on the scene. Okay, I get it. That's a good use of the music. I don't have a problem with that. I wish they had done more of that, but it seems like every time that something's about to happen that's going to be bad, that music kind of is lingering somewhere, someplace in the background. So they do manage to get onto the plane, and while they're on the plane, he starts to notice that some things are going down on the plane. Somebody's cream is starting to spoil. There's blue flame coming from somebody's lighter who's fucking smoking on the plane? They were still smoking on the planes in the 1980s? This is the also the only instance where you see a cigarette. And I actually kind of applaud the film for that. Because, you know, growing up, especially when it comes to horror scenes, and this girl, Cassandra with a K, she would have been smoking at some point because they were trying to say that maybe she was kind of like a wild, maybe bad kid or something like that. And that Chaz had taken her in because she was struggling and she needed something and he has a good, kind heart. Right? 
But she would have been the person that would have been smoking something at somewhere like they're in the car. And instead of her trying to get gum, she's trying to get the lighter to go. So that way, you know, she can light her fucking cigarette as she's driving around. But, you know, this is the only time that we see it at all in the film. It's quite amazing, to be honest with you. So he freaks the fuck out. He thinks there's a witch on board. She's like, no, there's no way. We left him back at the airport. And he's all, what? You didn't tell me? Well, of course she didn't tell you. Because she has his plan. She wants to go over you know, to Boston to find the pages and do it that way. Not have a confrontation where maybe everything gets fucked up. And you get killed or she gets killed. And then they don't find the fucking grimoire over there in fucking Boston. And stop the world from fucking ending. So again, I kind of do applaud her. And I understand why she's doing exactly what she's doing. So they search the whole plane. There's a couple of odd little funny-ish scenes where he walks in on somebody in the bathroom. You know, and then she steals some food from first class. And again, she's able to walk up there just fine. Nowadays, they'd be like, why the fuck are you here? You're a fucking plebe. Get in the back of the fucking plane. Go sit in your smallest fucking seat in between those two guys from the fucking Guinness Book World Records for the fattest twins on record. That's where you're fucking sitting. That's where you're fucking staying. So they don't find anything. But lo and behold, he is there. He just happens to be in the cargo hold, supposedly not freezing his ass to death. Because those things aren't regulated with any type of temperatures. There's not a whole lot of airflow. But again, he's a fucking warlock. So he probably has some like invisible bubble on him or whatever. They land the plane. They get off. We see the warlock actually um, brew some more of his kid fat flying potion. Drinks it. And then he bolts the fuck out of there. After, you know, the, the, the people that come to get the baggages off the plane open the baggage compartment. And then he goes off. That's where we get to see them inside of a cab and bickering with a cabbie because Redfern here, he actually knows where he's going in the town of Boston. Let me guess, California, right? How'd you know? There to your left. What? It was Boston Common we just now passed. Yeah. And we travel north on Tremont Road. Yeah, we're on Tremont. Then bear west. The church lies not far off. I think I'll keep going this way. Loop around onto Cambridge. Nathan, here, here! Hey, look, pal. I know this town pretty good. I lived here since 1958. How about you? Don't answer that. Lest you favor throttlings to the ears and face, bear west here. They wonder why we hate the Lakers. So, okay, it's a little bit of a funny scene that you've got going on there. You know, that fucking stereotype I hate. Oh, you guys are dressed weird, so you must be from fucking California. (laughs) Fuck you. That's the reason why we hate the fucking Celtics. Actually, there's plenty of other reasons. I don't really care, you know, one way about the Celtics, but fuck the Patriots, okay? Fuck them right in their fucking Tom Brady-loving fucking ass. But, nonetheless, um, (laughs) we see them, and they, you know... They have that bickering moment in the car. He really does know his way. And the driver there, of course, is like, Oh, I've been here for all my life. How long have you been here for? You know, and of course, don't ask that. Oh, it's so fucking funny. Uh, But honestly, he does know his way. And the cabbie's just trying to increase his fucking fare. So they get to the church and they see the, the priest or the pastor. I'm assuming it's a pastor, not necessarily a priest. But he is wearing the goddamn priest collar. So it doesn't make sense with the scene that's coming up and that he's probably the worst fucking priest that's ever been known to fucking man. So he's there closing up and we see them rush up and they're like, hey, we need to ask you a couple of things. And he's like, look, I'm not 
here, we're closing, just come back in the morning. We don't have to the morning. They mention the Grimoire, which does catch the priest's interest, and he does let them in. And when he does, he asks them why exactly they're looking for the book. The other clergy know about it, too. I'm not the only one who's seen the records, but nobody seems to recall how or why it came into church hands. Some sort of witch's book, isn't it? Can we see those records tonight? Church papers wouldn't be for sale at any price. You are document collectors. Isn't that it? We aren't here to buy anything. We just have to find that book. Well, it's not here if that's what you're hoping. It was broken up long ago, divided into... He's here. The ranch is on us like a tail on a hound. No, he's not here. He is. Can I ask what your interest is in finding such a book? Our interest lies in stopping those who would see all good falter. It lies in stopping the powers of misrule from coming of age. It lies in finding that damned book and thwarting a vile beast of a man who shall not rest until God himself is thrown down and all of creation becomes Satan's black hell besmeared farting hole. You asked. Did he say farting hole? Like, am I, like, really sure about that phrase there? Like, that sounds really awkward. Like, this is going to become Satan's butthole, or his asshole, or whatever. It's going to be his farting hole. That's that's really fucking ridiculous, and honestly kind of fucking funny if it's true. So, it's weird that they keep bickering. Like, every little thing. She's trying to keep him low-key, but he's still dressed the way that he's dressed, you know, he's got his fucking tattered robes and everything. And the other thing is, is why don't they call the warlock a fucking warlock? Why is he always a fucking witch? Like a male witch is a warlock. Why aren't you fucking calling him by what he is? The whole movie is called fucking warlock. I can't believe that it took me this long to fucking point this out. That he never once, once calls him a fucking warlock. He always calls him a fucking witch. It just makes no sense to me. Like, that's the actual correct nomenclature for the goddamn guy. It's not fucking witch. It's fucking warlock. So the priest, of course, after he heals this little bit of uh, information there, he does realize that he needs to go and show them the records down below. So he does take them down below and tells them a little more about what's going on with the Book of Shadows and where it could possibly lie in the city of Boston. Here. Chronicled in the year of the Lord, 1692, township of Boston, some few remarks upon a book most dire, called by some the Book of Shadows, by others the Key of Solomon, and named by others still the Grand Grimoire. Aye, that's the one. The need for exquisite caution, many-faced lieutenants of Lucifer. Well, the language gets pretty thick, but I remember something about how the book was distributed. Like where? Let's see, huh? One part was placed within the slender hollow of a table used in the taking of communion. Chaz's table. Another part was given to a vicar who had recently founded a ministry west of the Carolinas. The farmhouse in the chest gotta be. And the third part... Yeah. yeah. Well, if I'm reading this correctly, the third part might still be here in Boston. Oh, is this a plan? What? Okay, where? A graveyard? A burial ground, one I know. Now we're gonna go dig up graves? Is that what you're trying to tell me? If luck looks upon us, there'll be no digging. For should the earth there be hallowed, then the pages lie safe. Never can no witch set foot on consecrated ground. 
Whose idea was this? So much has changed. Yet at times I spy a familiar stretch of park or turn of the road. Over there. And this is the first time that we actually get to see him where like he's like, man, this is really weird. Like, I'm here, but I totally understand where I'm at. And that's probably because he's in an area where he's really comfortable, right? He's back at home in the area where he lived. And now, all of a sudden, you know, he recognizes things, even though everything's kind of weird. So the grimoire lies inside of a graveyard. And we're going to have to figure out what exactly grave it's going to be in or where it's fucking hidden. And, of course, it's kind of freaking her out because they got to go dig up bodies or whatever it is. And, you know, it's... It makes sense of why it's going to be where it's at. We see in this next scene that the priest, he's at home or wherever the fuck he is. And we see a girl in like up above inside of this like, you know, house that's across the street. And she's looking out waiting for him to come home. And it's kind of like, okay, whatever is going on. But we see that the priest, he's not necessarily a true man of the cloth because when somebody comes a knocking. Uh, we find out something about the girl in the window, and uh, it's actually quite shocking. I'll say good evening, even though it does seem unwarranted. The two who were here earlier this night, what was told them? The man, Redford. Well, we talked about many things. Then talk to me of pages. Of pages and places most secret. Pages, huh? Afraid I don't know what you're referring to. Sit down! shall be born well favored providing he tells me what I need know please tell him Stuart tell me Stuart lest your children be born slugs of cold flesh tell me now okay so he is having kids with this lady and that's not being, well, it is being used against him in a way, but like, I guess maybe that's what's not protecting the house against the warlock, that it's not truly a house of God. And he was able to go in there and actually put the cross on the goddamn wall because this priest is actually a fucking idiot and is not following his own like teachings. He's not supposed to have fucking kids. That's why I thought he was a fucking pastor. But then he's still wearing the fucking cloth. And he's wearing the damn neck piece of a priest. What You know, probably should know what that's fucking called. But right now, I can't fucking remember for the life of me. So fuck it. But it's just weird. Like, that whole scene, like, he's basically... 
I would be in the case of like, look, I get it. You don't want your kids to be killed. Your unborn kids. You have twins. You got two people. You don't want them to die. But wouldn't that be something along the lines of, hey, I know you're not good or I know you're not pure. So you better tell me what's going on or I'm going to fuck up the situation outside of fucking killing her. And he fucking just gropes the shit out of her, too. Like he goes, has her sit down and then he makes him sit down by bringing a chair under his ass. And then like just grabs her tits and like starts rubbing down her chest and then rubs on the stomach and is like, oh, yeah. There's kids in there. Like, originally, you know, he's talking, there's two of them. Yeah, she's got two tits that you're grabbing on pretty goddamn hard. I wonder how awkward that was to do that scene as that actress. Like, here comes Julian Sands. He's kind of attractive. Maybe not to you. Maybe it's the ponytail or whatever that does it for you. Hey, ponytails. Anyway, and so, like, he just rubs down her chest and, like, you've got to be like, I have to be still and scared. I just would be scared in general if I was fucking her. Here's this guy back here that's dressed in these fucking robes. I've got to dress in this scene. And I got to have my tits fucking fondled by this creep. So he learns that the grimoire is also in the same graveyard. And when we go over to the graveyard, we learn that this the ground has been actually... Um, it's sacred ground, right? So... It, when he plunges the weather vane that he's still carrying on him that has the blood of the, uh, you know, the warlock, and he plunges in the ground, then the ground starts shaking and smoking, meaning that he cannot be on that ground. He's not able to step there. So they decide that they got to go walk around and look at all of the gravestones and sites and find out which one has the hex symbol on top of it. And of course, Cassandra with a K is the one that finds the you know, the coffin or the tombstone out there. And they point out that, you know, it's basically inside of there. They don't need to uh, open that gravesite because, you know, he doesn't really want to know who it belongs to. And of course, you know, he does. And when he looks at the name, whose is it? It happens to be his. And his first name happens to be Giles. He's Giles Redfern, and she makes a joke that Giles is not a bad name, but he's freaking the fuck out because he just saw his own fucking dead body, well, his own fucking tomb, and she tries to reason with him and is like, look, maybe because you're here that there's nobody inside of that casket on the inside, right? Like, they're building condos over here, we need to actually dig it up. Because they've moved some of the graves and they moved them over. And maybe that ground over there happens to actually be, like, not a part of the graveyard. So that's not actually sacred ground. And she takes the weather vane from him, sticks it in the regular ground. It sizzles and smokes. And then he, she sticks it over there by where the grave is. And it does absolutely nothing. So they realize that they need to take the grimoire out of the casket and actually move it and bury it in the good side of the cemetery so that way the warlock can't get it and of course that leads to some hilarious little uh well i guess a hilarious little scene you know i bet you aren't even in here the pages maybe but not you are you daft this is my own casket yeah but you're not dead you're right here look before you died you came to the 20th century think of it that way how could there be tomb and casket but i died I guess we find out the hard way. Hey, I'll do it. Now don't look till I say it's okay to look, okay? Just be quick about it. Oh. 
Well? Better not look. Is there a body inside, Manon? Better not look. I'll look now. No, better not. Oh, blessings of heaven. What'd you expect? I said better not look, and you looked. How dumb can you be? The pages. Take them in a hurry. Okay, so she's got a total point there. Like, there's a couple things that I've got, not necessarily issues, but kind of I wonder about the scene. First is that, yeah, you don't look. Like, if that's going to be your own body, I'm pretty sure that would be pretty shocking and you might not be able to handle it, right? Like, I couldn't imagine going somewhere and seeing my grave and being like, uh, there's a skeleton in there, yet I'm sitting here, who the fuck is that skeleton, right? If that's me, that means that something happened, I'm going to be throwing the past at some point, and then I'm going to have to fucking die at another point. Especially if the grave is like from 1600s, oh shit, I'm a time traveler, and I never fucking knew it. The other thing is, there shouldn't be a body in there, right? Like, the reason that there shouldn't be a body is because he's actually is here now, so she's kind of right about that situation. But if they did find a body, that means that either this is an alternate timeline where he did protect it and the warlock was never sent to this time frame and, you know, they saved the day and whatever he, that's why he has that piece of it and he was buried with it, holding on to it the way that he was, or they're successful and that everything's going to turn out the way that it should because he's eventually going to be fucking dead in the ground but he's going to still be holding pages of the book so that they can find it at a later time. I'm kind of leaning towards that one, and that's where I felt like they should have like thought about it. But it, of course, it's in the heat of the moment, and I totally get that you may not be thinking straight when you've got to dig up your own fucking corpse and see if you're holding on to a bunch of booklet pages that are possibly could bring on the end of the fucking world. So she manages, and she takes the lid off the goddamn coffin really fucking easily, like... You would think that that would need a crowbar or some shit, but I guess it's so old, maybe that it's really easy to get off. I don't know. Now that she's in her 20s, she's got fucking, you know, Schwarzenegger strength, and she's able to totally just rip that thing off. So she does, but she can't get the fucking book out. Just rip that shit. Like, honestly, I get it. You don't want to desecrate his body, but you need to fucking save the day. And if you're not going to fucking save the day then you're just not going to do anything with the body. Just fucking rip it out of his cold fucking dead hands. He'll fucking forgive you later for doing what you did because you did save it. So she breaks off a bunch of his fingers after like trying to gently get it out of there and then brings the the pages out. They try to rush over to the other side. She gives it to him and then she's caught by the warlock. The warlock basically breaks her down he, and he starts taking an one of the nails and drives it into her foot and possibly the most excruciating scene that there is in this movie. I cannot stand seeing that shit. Whenever you get a movie and you have to show like something going into somebody's foot, whether it be a knife, a nail, anything like that, I fucking wince in pain. Even thinking about it, I am just like, my feet are fucking hurting right now. So he's got her, he's stabbing the nails into her feet and of course he's baiting Renfern into giving him the copies of that book in exchange for her life. Stop What you hold for what I hold a straight swap of goods. Your offer seems light. All will die should I give these up. The uncreation 
Only the daft believe such a thing. The pages, Redford, give them up. No! Don't you dare! Believe it, Redford. Her death will make all others seem like a pink tea party. And you, you who stand there cow-like on hallowed earth, shall hear every whimper, every cry, every gasping gush I can wring from her slow, dying body. See her, the mouth, the lips, the breasts. So much like those of someone once you knew, of someone both we knew. Well, Redfern, shall she live or shall she join sweet Marion in the hereafter? Take the pages. Take them by hand. How's this? No spells, no flying, no magic. Take them if you're able. Now who makes the hollow offer? You give up nothing. Take the pages if you're able. So she gets thrown, and I mean thrown, into the river. Like, he picks her up by her neck, like the her back of her jacket or whatever she's wearing. And then when she's getting ready, or he's getting ready to fight, uh, Redfern here just fucking tosses her right into the fucking river, which happens to be uh, right there next to the graveyard. Actually, I believe it's to be the ocean because of what actually happens in just a few moments. So... He's getting ready to go and fight fucking Redfern. Redfern's like, look, we're going to just have it out. This is going to be the last thing that we do. And let's just fucking mono you mono. I won't have any weapons. You won't have any weapons. Let's just fucking fight it out. And let's see if you can get these damn pages from me. And back of my mind, I'm like, okay, I get it. You want to do this. You want to be machismo. You're trying to get to that side of the warlock and to have the warlock show, oh yeah, I truly am a lot more powerful than you are. One, you know that you're not going to be able to stab him because he's probably still wearing the grimoire as a fucking like body shield that he's got going on there. And two, maybe you could actually take him if he wasn't using his magic. I get it. And maybe he's going to be stupid enough to do it, which of course he's stupid enough to do it. But if I was the fucking warlock, I'd be like, oh, okay... I won't use any magic. And the moment that he comes down, he's about to punch me in the face or something like that. Bam! Hit him with that fucking, you know, cantrip that I've got ready. Hit him with a fucking fireball. Make sure he gets some magic missiles on his fucking ass. Just fucking pummel him to fucking death with the fucking magic. You could probably even do, you know, you could if you were a warlock, I'm assuming you'd be like an evil cleric or some shit. Instead of fucking like laying hands on the person, you could just cast hurt or whatever the fuck it is. And make sure that, you know, you... Get him on total surprise. And instead, they start just fucking fist fighting. That's the way that they're going to fucking do this. They're throwing each other across the graveyard. And eventually, he is going to get the upper hand. He's choking him to death. And then he sticks... The the warlock sticks his hand into Renford's mouth. And then casts a spell. And he starts, like, throwing up fucking fire. I can't believe that didn't kill Redford, But... At the same time, I can't believe that it took him that fucking long to do it. Again, why wouldn't you just use it right away? Why wouldn't you? Oh, okay, I'll just fucking fight you in the regular way. So, he goes and he gets the book and we see that Cassandra with the K, she's coming out of the water. And she's looking at him and he's putting the book together in a rather 
good special effect. Uh, you know, they do like a stop motion type of bring the book together to be one complete book. And then she licks her lips because she's covered in water. And that's why when she realizes that it's salt water, she opens up her bag that she's got for some reason. I mean, I guess you need to carry it with you at all times, but she has like her needles for her insulin and she has her old insulin pouch with her. So she goes back into the water with the needles and fills them up with the salt water. We then see that he's completed the complete book and he's about to real reveal what the actual real name of God is. I am he of empty crib and stillborn foal. I am he whose coming the stars hath foretold. I am he with heart forged by blackest coal. I am he who makest whole the glorious goal of Satan's unborn soul! Now, reveal unto me the name of God. So the name of the book is on top of the book reveals the name of God, the true name of God. And that name happens to be Roshi. It's the fucking turtle hermit. Is that that's who what the real name of God is? You mean we've been saying that all these years as we've been watching fucking Dragon Ball? Actually, it's like Rashishi or some shit like that. But literally, it looks like it's spelled out when you kind of glance at it. It looks like it's Master Roshi. That's that's exactly who is the name on the damn book. And of course, right before he's about to say what the real name is, Cassandra with a K pops out of the middle of nowhere with her two syringes and sticks the salt water right into the warlock's neck. And it causes his neck to close up and then he bursts into flames and he burns to death before he can actually do anything. Renfern, he gets up, he walks over to it, the skull looks at him for a second, and then he fucking curb stomps that motherfucking skull uh, and just breaks it down, therefore completely ending the warlock, period. There will be no sequels, yet we know there will be sequels, but it's actually a relatively satisfying ending, I believe. I mean, it's not the most satisfying, but definitely for where the film has been and how it's ended up, I think it works for the film. Uh, but we're not quite done yet because Redfern, he goes over to Cassandra with a K and he tells her that there's a debt owed to her that no one will ever know because she's saved, you know, world and creation as we know it. He kisses her eyes for some reason. She's just like, that's it. Like, this is where everything ends. And then he leans in to go give her a kiss 
and she tries to go in for that kiss too and god turns out to be the biggest cock blocker that there ever has seen and makes him go back to the past so he doesn't even stay there so it's true that they were going to be successful and that's the reason why the body is there so he probably told them okay make sure that you break it up in these three parts give me the clues of where i need to go and eventually make sure i run into her so maybe that's why the book's in this place fuck if i know but it definitely makes more sense in the way that the story goes and why they actually see a body inside of the casket with that she takes the grimoire and goes out into the largest salt flat of the world and buries it and then drives off into the distance and the movie ends So that was Warlock. And does it still hold up for me? Well, not completely. Um, so there's definitely a lot of nostalgia blinders when it comes to this film and me wanting to do it. I'm not saying that I, it, I'm upset that I did it or I'm like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have done it because I should have done it. Um, it's a movie that I've wanted to look at for a long time. I think it fits my anniversary schedule. It is a movie I still like. But is it as good as I remember it? No, it's not. It's got a lot of problems with it. It has some very bad special effects that are in there. Some of them just don't hold up. Like the flying. The flying is so goddamn ridiculous. It's literally like somebody, like you see some of the joke ones today where they're like, oh, somebody's going to fly away. And then they take like Photoshop and they cut him out and they make him move around and he flies off. Like, that's what it looks like. It, it just doesn't quite fit. And it could be because that we're such a high-definition age. And when you saw it back in the day, it was pretty good. Some of the effects for the magic when they have it around his hands, they look like they're cheesily done. Like, half-assed. Again, the fact that this movie cost $15 million back in 1989 or probably 1988 when it was filmed... It just doesn't warrant that. Like, it, they say they couldn't have done stuff because they didn't have the money for it, but where did they spend all the goddamn money? It, it doesn't make any sense to me because they could have spent more on the special effects than they actually did. Um, 
it's a really it's just a road movie is basically what it is it's them chasing after the warlock and them finding the warlock and then shit going down with the warlock for a little bit and then they go on another chase and it's really a buddy movie between cassandra with a k and fucking redfern uh performance wise it's not bad the you know laurie that plays cassandra with a k she's pretty good i mean she's annoying at times i'm not a big fan of the character i didn't realize the character was done so poorly like written so poorly i i just feel like it's not it it could have been more to it i know what they were trying to do with the character but i felt that it just wasn't where i wanted it to be redfern actually you know what he used to be a character i didn't like and i actually liked him a lot more when i went through this i still really liked the warlock but i felt that he was a little more underutilized than even i remembered he's got the best scenes he's got the best lines he's got the best he's acted well to be honest like it's still cheesy but it's the perfect type of cheesy it's the type of cheesy that i really want out of a character like that so it fits the mold that i want it to fit uh for me so when you know having to go through and doing the rating system for this film it was actually quite difficult because i expected it to be a very highly rated film overall but you know it's uh it ends up being like this for gore it's kind of a three out of five i'd say maybe more of like a two and a half but I think about like bump it up to a three because the tongue scene is actually done really well. I like the scene where the guy's bleeding from the eyes, and you see the fat bubbling in a couple of scenes, and him eating the fat, and it's quite disgusting. Um, but definitely is something that I think warrants a little more than just a two for the gore. Uh, for the crap factor, it's a three out of five. Some performances, um, you can see that it was only filmed in a couple of like specific sets. Um, and uh, generally, the pacing of the movie could lose about 10 to 15 minutes of it. And I think that it would be a little more cohesive. Uh, and again, some of the acting is not quite where I remember it. But it's still entertaining, which is why it gets a 3 out of 5 in the fun factor. I still think you can have a lot of fun with the film. I think that... Um, if you've never seen it before, it may not hit you in the right way. If you're going back through it, I think that you might enjoy it if you didn't enjoy it quite as much the first time. If you weren't super excited about hearing that I'm doing Warlock, you maybe you'd be more excited to go back and watch and see some of the ridiculous things. Because some of the ridiculous stuff really needs to be seen rather than heard. Um, there's a great slap in the beginning um, that Renford does to Cassandra with a K. When she screams at him and he just fucking wails on her that uh, I felt a little bad for laughing at, but it was fucking hilarious. Uh, And then there's a couple of just like missteps with things that happened that were just left in the film and left on the editing floor. Like poor Chaz getting his head knocked against the doorknob um, that make it really fun. So overall, what do I give the film? I'm going to give the film three out of five years in high school. Um, I think that maybe I thought it was going to be a lot better than it was. Like I said, definitely Nostalgia Blinders got on, but when I really looked at a lot of it, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm not going to say that I didn't enjoy my time watching it and that it was a chore or a struggle or anything like that, uh, but it was definitely a lot more fun um, than like I thought it would be after watching it for the first like 15 minutes or so. Some of the things are just ridiculous. Some of the things are 
not funny that maybe I found funny when I was younger. But it, overall, it's a good, not great movie. And I think if you've never seen it before, your mileage is going to vary. It's not something that you necessarily needed to see before you saw the podcast or heard the podcast, I should say. Uh, but it's definitely something if you're looking for a movie about warlocks and witches, um, it's definitely a different take. And this is definitely the better out of the three. So, and I don't think I've ever even seen the third one. Um, you know, maybe I'll go check it out someday. Maybe we'll do some more Warlock movies on this podcast. Who knows? So with that being said, um, we're getting into October and Halloween month. And as part of tradition, um, after this, we're going to do four films for the month of October, which is always rough. Um, last year, you know, I did it with guests this year. I'm going to go back to doing without guests, uh, just because it is, hard to get people on a specific schedule and I hadn't really planned anything out with anybody and hadn't really thought about it. You know, if something changes and I have a guest for one, maybe we'll do that. But for the most part, I thought, hey, we got to think of, uh, you know, a theme. What are we going to do? So I ran through a lot of different ideas because you know, last year we did comic book movies. Um, you know, I kind of did that theme with uh, classic monster tropes to lead you into Van Helsing. I've done just kind of random movies for that. So I decided, okay, there's a couple things I wanted to look at. One, um, I thought about doing Rob Zombie and doing zombie, just doing a zombie thon for the month. Uh, but I'm going to hold off on that. I am actually going to do that. Uh, we're going to do that within this season. And I think I have something very special planned. Um, after talking with, uh, someone today, I think it's going to be good. And the main reason I'm thinking about that is because I want to do the Firefly trilogy and three from hell just came out. And by that time, it should be available in a way that I can get it and I can get the audio, whether it's DVD, Blu-ray, I can rent it or it'll be on a streaming service. Maybe it'll be on shutter. That'll be great. You know, I already have uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects in my collection. So um, I am looking forward to actually adding that to my collection and watching it on my own time rather than just in the theater to where I can dissect it, stop it, and get all that stuff from it. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. And then picking out the third one, I, or the last movie, I don't know what that's going to be. Um, it could be 31, it could be Lords of Salem, or I might even go and grab, uh, the haunted world of El Superbisto. If you've never seen that, um, that's wild. It's very, very wild. And it's very Rob Zombie. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I think everybody should give that a, a watch. Then I thought, well, I could do something simple like a carpenter thon, you know, um, it, it, I could choose a bunch of random John Carpenter films and, and do them. And uh, see where it leads me. Kind of like go through, do some classics, do some kind of not-so-classics, and uh, go through with it. And I thought, uh, you know what? I'd like to do one or two of those films outside. And I really want to save one of them that I was thinking of uh, for an anniversary special. Um, because it's possibly my favorite Carpenter movie. And it's probably a lot of people's favorite Carpenter movie. Um, it's going to usually be, I, I assume one of two and I could be wrong. Maybe somebody really does love Ghost of Mars and, um, I just don't know. Um, so I, I ixnade that. And so I came upon, I'm like, you know what? A, looking at a director or a director's like film series is a good thing. Uh, so let's figure out directors. And I came down to one. And the thing is, is that I could have done, um, another film by this director to keep it all the same. But then I would be doing three films from one franchise 
and then one film, which is a very fun film, uh, that's outside of it. And I decided, you know what? Why don't I just do films of that franchise? Like, just keep it all the same. So it's going to be an Evil Dead October. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. your girlfriend you take care of her start with the film that started it all which of course is the evil dead and then um the plans are and i'm just gonna say them now uh, because i want everybody to get kind of prepared if you're gonna watch the movies along with me um is that there's like remastered there's a remastered box set that has all four of the films in it right and it has a remastered version of both the evil dead and the evil dead 2 and then it has the director's cut of army of darkness and it has the extended cut, The Evil Dead, from 2013. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with The Evil Dead. And I'm going to do that one. Then I'm going to jump to 2013. So the second film that you'll get is going to be the extended cut version of The Evil Dead from 2013. And I'm doing that specifically because I want to compare and contrast. I want to go through, when after I go through The Evil Dead, I'm going to do a little extra at the end of it and kind of say what I like from both films and what I dislike from the remake, right? Um, there are things that have been changed, but, and then and spoiler alert here, I'm not a hater of it, right? I'm going to go through it again. I watched it on a plane as I came back from D.C. for some work convention because it was in a red box and I decided to rent it and watch it on the DVD player on the laptop as I flew back across the country. And it necessarily wasn't the movie to watch next to some random old lady that was sitting on next to me on the plane because it is extremely bloody and violent. Um, but for me, it was a, it was a good experience, but I want to experience it in a different way, right? So this is a different way for me to do it. And I've been asked actually to do this film on the pod and um i always felt uh, maybe i don't want to do it just because how i feel about it but since i've changed things about the pod it's actually perfect to do here so 
like I said, we're going to do the original Evil Dead first, next one, and then we'll do the remake, and then we'll do Evil Dead 2, which is technically still a remake of the original Evil Dead. So we'll do that one, and then we'll end with the director's cut of Army of Darkness. And if you've never seen that, it is somewhat different than the original cut. It has the original ending that was planned for the film. Um, So if you've never seen it before... I would definitely go and find the director's cut of that film and watch it before we do it. Because I will be talking about a different ending. I will explain it on that part. And I will mention what the original ending was, which I really do enjoy. But I actually kind of like the director's cut better. And I remember when I bought that, um, the one that I have um, originally, it's like... It's in like a paper bag. Like the DVD box cover is a paper bag. And it's like a bootleg edition of the movie that has the original cut in it. So um, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking for, uh, you know, an Ashtober. Maybe that's what I should be calling it, Ashtober. Uh, to, to talk about these films. Because they're all films that I like. I don't have, you know, I have varying degrees of how I like the films. But they're films that I do really enjoy. And I've enjoyed each one of these films. So it's not like I'm just talking about terrible. I just thought, what do I do for October? And I I could just look at just, you know, a certain theme around really terrible, terrible horror movies. But, you know, October, I actually kind of want to do something nice for you guys and do something that's fun and that uh, I think a lot of people really enjoy. And it's not to say that I'm not going to bring my style to it, um, you're just going to have to, you know, enjoy some good horror films for that month. So w- also within October, I, I'm going to try it again and we'll see what happens. But I will be doing the 31 and 31 um, if I can stomach it along with these films. So the idea would be to watch a horror film a day. Uh, last year, I did the Godzilla-thon where I watched 31 Godzilla films. Uh, everything except for two of the Godzilla films, which I put up uh, videos on the YouTube channel as well as the Instagram IGTV channel, and you can watch the review of every single one. Um, that was trying. I, I'm going to admit that. So it would be better to for me to pick a theme where it's movies that I have seen and that I can do a little more off memory. Not saying that not doing the whole thing, but I don't have to sit and watch a bunch of movies that I haven't necessarily seen uh, to get a better feeling for the film and to actually bring a positive review for everything. I mean, I was literally during my lunch break watching Godzilla films and like figuring out like, oh, how am I going to do the video for this today? Um, Which actually led me to the video app that I use um, to do a lot of the YouTube reviews. So, uh, with that all being said, there are a lot of people that I want to thank uh, for this, but they know who they are. I've already kind of put out a tweet, but the biggest person that I want to thank is you that are taking the time right now to listen to this podcast. So like I said in the beginning of it, this is year number five that I'm starting. It's crazy to think that I would be doing this specifically, and I don't do it if there aren't people that are listening like you. You know, it means a hell of a lot to me that you take the time that something that is this is two and a half hours long. You're taking the time, whether you're doing it at two speed, one and a half speed, whatever you're doing it, you're taking the time to sit and listen to this, to listen to me yell and scream about horror movies in general. Whether or not you like horror movies or you don't, it's something that, you know, I I never thought that I would get 10 listeners, that I get 20 
that there are so many people that do reach out to me. There's so many people I've talked to and that do enjoy the show. And it's crazy that you you take the time to listen to this guy. And I'm not a big professional guy. I don't spend my hours. I mean, I spend a lot of hours doing this stupid podcast. Don't get me wrong about anything like that. But, you know, I don't make any money off this. I don't do, you know, I pay for everything myself pretty much. Um, you know, there's no producers, there's no nothing. It is one dude sitting in front of his laptop with a microphone. I'm sure the quality can probably tell you that, uh, in my little recording space doing this thing. And uh, I really do appreciate everybody that, even if you've only listened one, even if this is your first episode, your very first time, cause you're like, huh, that's interesting. I remember watching that movie and I'm going to give this guy a try. If this is your first time, you know, one, reach out. You can reach out to me through the Facebook page or through Twitter or however you want to reach out. And, you know, just realize that it, it does mean the absolute world to me that any of you would ever want to listen to something like this. And maybe it's self-deprecating or whatever it is, but it's true. You know, I'm doing this for fun and, uh, you know, I want to make sure that you guys are enjoying what I'm putting out. And that, uh, you know, if you have other movie suggestions, that you go ahead and listen to them. So, or <laughs> listen to them. List them for me. See, there's a, a blooper I would have normally cut out, but I'll keep it in there this time at the end of it. So, with all of that being said, besides all of the thanks, I want to make sure that you guys go ahead and check me out on social media. Go to the Facebook page, uh, Terrible Terror on Facebook, Terrible Terror on Instagram, T underscore T underscore podcast out there on Twitter. And then there also is the YouTube channel for the Terrible Terror podcast where you can see a review of Three from Hell along with uh, Paranormal Pat and as well as tons of other movies, including our It Chapter 2 review that we did with Phantom Dave and uh, Ben. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next time with The Evil Dead. Bye-bye. Oh, and before I forget, I didn't forget the blooper reel this year. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delved into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I love these horrible... Uh, I fucked up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this is what happens when you don't record it at the time that you normally do. Okay. We'll, we'll uh, shake it off. Let's do this again. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So if you've made a horror movie on your phone or your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you make a sequel based on a... Yeah, oh my god, I was doing so good. I was almost there, almost did in one fucking take. Jesus fucking Christ, this sucks. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each day I said podcast. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh boy, here we go again.
it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horror movies. So if you made your own horror movie on your phone, MacGyver style, but I'm fucking this all up because I'm trying to do this without actually finding the script and reading it, then you can go ahead and just and, and add this as one of your bloopers for later on in the podcast episodes. It's time to fuck up the intro once again, because you don't know where this is going. You don't have any semblance of time, and it's time to restart this for the fifth fucking time. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrifying flicks. If you've made your own horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects, guy first... Fuck! <laughs> I tried to power through. Oh, God damn it! It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So if you've made a movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you do when you want to celebrate 100 episodes? Oh my god, I'm fucked up right already. Oh god, Weddy, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Yay for 100! <laughs> it's so good to know. Well, I guess you could say it's actually his jacket. So on the back of County de... Fuck me. How many times can I not say fucking Canada? Canada, Canada. Can't you fucking say Canada? Which is one of the resistance... uh, Basically, they're going to be considered to be, you know, full-fledged adults. Adults? Herschel's going to follow him. Uh, I keep saying him when I talk about fucking Annie. Like, she doesn't look like that much of a man, guy. Oh, I'm waiting for him to sing fucking Rotten, Rocky Mountain. Uh, blah, can't believe I fucked that one up. It's kind of one of those things that I don't know if it's really truly meant to be totally chung, like chung and teeth. What the fuck is chung and teeth? And no, not as in the, you know, British uh, slang colloquialism for, I believe... I cannot say that fucking word. Colloquialism? Colloquialism. But Tom goes there and, like, remuse... Remuse? What the fuck is wrong with me? Carol, they're talking downstairs. And because he comes come back... <laughs> fuck, they can't talk. Uh, this was a box office success. Uh, ew, what the hell was that? That lasts you fucking forever, yet you need another fucking cash cow in the sky. In the sky. In the sky. Fucking A. Of humans, chimpanzees, and gorillas. What the hell? I can't even say fucking gorillas right anymore. Now, what do you get when you mix Ice Cube, J-Lo, John Voight, a bad accent, and giant snakes? Fuck. I 
Why did I say snakes? Why did it have to be snakes? It's the the etymology. <laughs> trying to say etymology here. In, in either way, if it was a real one, I think they're just skirting, like squirting it, skirting it. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's odd. When I went back and um, you know, I have to thank Dank. Uh, what the fuck? Uh, that was supposed to be there right away. Wouldn't you just fucking like? quarantine them put them inside of like a laser proof or not laser proof but like laser i can't even fucking say it a laser cage of shit this ship fires a later laser a later what the fuck is a later oh my god like self-aware and self-referential ugh, i can't believe i fucked that up we see a guy that's litting up a joint and litting up a joint He's lit a joint. Why don't you put your fucking hand in there, Larry? You can she. Oh, God, you can she? Oh, man. And that one's so goddamn ridiculous. Ridiculous. Ridiculous? What the fuck is up with that? Oh, boy. 3,000 or 30,000. 3,000. 30,000. What the fuck is wrong with me? It's 100 episodes and I still can't do fucking math. Oh, my God. And honestly, I've actually reviewed over 100 episodes. But we're talking about 100 podcasts. Oh my god, um, <laughs> I really can't do math today. You know, well, I guess you call it like sci fi. Sci fi? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and get high off of Cat Hearn. Hearn? What the fuck? We'll talk more about Wayne, but there's not much to really say about Maria other than she's like the biggest Mexican stand, like, standiotype? Standiotype! The new type of stereotype. When you stand, and he has his fucking gas. Stand. Who the fuck carries a siphon foes? Other foes? What the fuck is wrong with me? Because if I'm not mistaken, Angel is the daughter of Gale, who is well. I guess he's she. Uh, God, I can't. Why? Why can't I fucking talk and do this like little fucking section? Goddamn piece of shit, motherfucker. With a piece of turkey because she couldn't wait anybody for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So enjoy the nice, soulful soundings of uh, Diane Carroll. I know you're searching for me. Searching, searching. Or I could always play the wrong clip and have to pause this and start again. Boom! Now you can see wherever the fuck you want to see. You just have to use some type of bobble, right? Either it's going to be a glove or emeralds. A glove? What the fuck is a glove? A person that's actually in the center. And she's kind of like an entran- enchantress. She's an entrantress. He's in the one versus the anacondas, and he's in Lake Placid. Lake Placid. Oh boy, I'm gonna. I don't want to keep that one. And they're busy talking to each other on the boat because one is gonna go into the water and do some beaven tagging. A beaven? What the fuck's a beaven? Does anybody know what a beaven is? And this is where we get to meet Hector, who is Oliver Katz. <laughs> Oliver Katz. God damn it. So that's the way they're going to get around this all. They're going to just dump a bunch of dynamite. Dynamite. Something in that conversation that we've already seen once. And this is going to be the second time. Not seen, but we've heard once. You've seen it if you watched it. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about right now. But we're just going to keep going. So <laughs> there is a scene. Uh, oh God, I'm still fucking doing it. What the fuck is wrong with me? It should have just been the creature from the Florida. I don't know what the fuck it would be. The creature from the Florida? What the hell? I could have come up with something better than that. This one, it was suggested by a listener, uh, Mr. Cap Donut. No, Dr. Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to leave that in just as it is. 
<laughs> you guys are gonna get uh the same stuff every year um but honestly oh man that, that that's terrible uh but mr capped dr nuts uh they're on twitter uh twitter twitter anyway <laughs> it wouldn't be christmas and it wouldn't be the terrible terror podcast if i didn't fuck up somewhere and you guys are getting a special little thing there normally i would cut that out and save it as a blooper but fuck that uh i'm on a time constraint no maybe i will just cut it out let's go back so it really, truly is playing out like a clop, clop, <laughs> clop drama. This is all about horses and the shit they bang. That's about all you can do. Is that how you gonna take back the fucking streets? Oh, I'm gonna go around bedding paint. Ah, fucking a. And uh, I like it as much as I did. Dud. I like it as much as I did. And that's just acting like the dumb doy. Fucking a. You realize I said boy ducks like three times. Then went back and edited. And then I said doy. Doy box. This is fucking ridiculous. The the main four is going to be Grant's wife, wife Margaret. Oh, Grant's. That's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to go out and find some random bomb, like bomb, fucking ah motherfucking piece of fucking. He already has this. Everything exists in his, like, eco-kit. Yeah. <laughs> Something that I was going to say. In my personal opinion. Like, this was the time where we were kind of becoming a little over-saturated. What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> He's going to make him weak or whatever it's going to be. But then on the flip uh, Oh, boy. <laughs> Why the hell you'd want to bring anything like that? Because, you know, well, maybe if your team loses, you need to shart. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right into count count D. Oh, boy. Yeah, let's jump right into that D count. But she's not really interested. And then he opens up the other side of the cake and he's like, other side of the cake? <laughs> what the hell? Well, that person would be the town douchebag, which happens to be the son's mayor. <laughs> the son's mayor. Jesus. I was saying it all before. You know, he watches on as the conversation. Conversation? What the fuck? He's this like turning into a vampire automatically, like automatically make you autophatically. That's what I was about to say. It's about to say autophatically. What the fuck is that? Uh, I still find farts. Farts? Oh, God damn it. There goes a blooper. Like nowadays, when everything is in complete color, but he wanted to keep the authenticity. Uh, <laughs> fuck me. And they're discussing the good to doctor. And God damn it. I did the doctor, didn't I? It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.